Welcome to the Rotten Round Table. <laughs> What's up and welcome to the horror cast episode number 86 and it's a rotten round table episode. These are the episodes where we just chew the fat. We talk about horror news. We talk about what's coming up and then we go around the rotten round table and talk about what we've been watching. Could be newer movies, could be older movies, just whatever we've been watching in the past few weeks. Uh, I'm one of your hosts tonight, Mark Nato, and I'm really excited tonight. Got two uh, two great hosts on here tonight. Tammy is sick and just wanted to give her well wishes and uh, hope that she is uh, n- no coronavirus or anything, but she's just uh, under the weather. So um, if you're on Facebook, give her a, uh, a little note and wish her well. Hopefully she'll be back with us next week. But tonight we have a horror cast uh, original all the way from back episode seven. He's been with us ever since. And this is episode number 86. And can you believe he's never been on the Rotten Round Table? Revenant Vin, what is up? Hey, what's up? Yeah, uh, my schedule is opening up a little bit more. I'm able to watch more movies. Um, it makes a little bit more sense for me to be on <laughs> one of these at some point and um, you know, I'm not having to wake up quite as early as I used to at this point. Uh, so, you know, uh, a weekly thing where I can stay up a little bit longer to record, um, is at least a little bit doable for the foreseeable future until things yeah. switch up again. But yeah, I'm well, glad to, glad to be on, glad to always talk about new movies. Yeah, man. Well, I'm excited to have you on, man. I, uh, always, uh, love talking to you and hearing your perspectives on the movies. So, and then we have the return of one of our former co-hosts. Uh, you know him as Mr. Venom. What's up, Mr. Venom? Greetings and salutations, horror casters. Yes, I am doing wonderful. I am so happy to be back with my first family of podcasting. I feel like I never left. <laughs> Hearing your voice, I feel the same way. <laughs> it's good, like a warm good. hug from grandma. That's right. <laughs> All right, well, you know, with the three of us, I think we're going to hit a bunch of different movies. So let's just get right into this thing and talk about some news. I've just got a few things I wanted to bring up. A couple of things that just hit today. Here's one that just came out seven hours ago. Jamie Lee Curtis set to direct a horror film called Mother Nature for Blumhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. Is she I, a I saw that and I didn't understand it. <laughs> she she's been pretty vocal about not being a horror fan, uh, about not liking watching horror films. Um, uh-huh. You know, I mean, obviously she appreciates the start that it's given her and everything else and the Halloween franchise, but she's been pretty vocal about not liking horror films. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of surprised 
that she's doing one. And also, I was kind of surprised at how excited people seem to be about it. <laughs> yeah, well, so, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> she directed uh, a couple of episodes. She did uh, an episode or two of the Screen Queens that she was on. And um, I think she's doing something for a lifetime. Um, you know, one of those made-for-TV movies. But... This is uh, called Mother Nature, and it's centered around climate change. So maybe it's something that she, you know, kind of felt passionate about, and it's one of those things where she can say something mm-hmm. sociologically, um, mm-hmm. and, and she couldn't pass it up. So, I mean, I'm not incredibly surprised that she finally got the directing itch. I mean, there's there's this there's this kind of unwritten um, kind of credo in Hollywood, and that's that every director thinks they can act, and every actor thinks they can direct. Yeah. And if so, when an actor, especially an established actor like a Jamie Lee, uh, with a long storied career, uh, finally gets the bug, it's not really all that surprising. I mean, I saw the Scream Queens episodes that she did; they were okay. Obviously, television is a completely different animal than feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I, I thought she did a competent job with those. Definitely uh, better than average, at least. You know what yeah. I mean? Especially for a first-time director. So, uh, you know, uh, if, I'll, I'll if definitely anything, sit through. Yeah, if yeah. anything, it's interesting. And, and yeah. it'll be interesting to see how she uh, she directs. And she's actually actually co-writing the script as well. Uh, mm. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. We're, we're mm. willing to give it a go. Yep. Um, here's one that I don't know what to think about. Uh, it's been getting some good reviews. But uh, this movie called Becky. And it's more of a thriller home invasion thriller than it is a horror, but excuse me, but it stars, uh, Lulu Wilson, who was the little girl from, uh, Ouija two. And she's, she was in the Annabelle, um, creation too, I believe. Yeah. She's a good little actress, uh, but it also stars Kevin James, uh, you know, <laughs> King of Queens, Kevin James. Yes. Uh, he, he's shaved his head. He's got a swastika tattoo on his head. And a, a full beard, and he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm d- I'm just gonna tell you, I I don't see it. it. It's one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. Is King of Queens, and his his comedy is so based upon his like his likeness and the way he looks and and all of that. And I don't know, man. I don't, I know there's some uh, some definite uh, crossovers from horror or from comedy to horror, but I'm even in the uh, trailer, I'm not, I'm not getting it. It's getting great reviews though. What do you, what do you guess? I actually play poker with a lot of like Hollywood types out here. Uh, Not a lot of people I can name necessarily, but I, I, I don't play with Kevin James, but I play with people who are personal friends of his and uh, they claim that he is very excited about the movie and that he's actually that he himself is actually shocked at how good of a villain he comes off on film. Like he's he's seen dailies, he's seen some edited scenes and that him and a lot of the people around the production, obviously, are are very excited about the movie. So, you know, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. What do you think, Vin? Is this <laughs> is this something that you'll you'll watch? I mean, all the buzz I've heard is positive so far. I have no problem giving it a chance. Yeah, mm. I, I just, I just have a, you know, a, a specific thing in mind when I watch him and like his tone of voice and everything. It's going to be hard. So, um, it's it is, but at the same time, 
Um, we had what Dennis Quaid last year basically play the exact same role, yeah. and, and in my opinion, did not do a very good job. So maybe yeah. you know, because we've always we've always said that horror and comedy are kind of two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Most horror movies, even if they don't have intentional comedy, will have a couple of you know chuckle worthy moments. So it, it seems like guys, um, you know, actors in general transitioning from comedy to horror has been very successful lately. I mean, you know, you've got the obvious, you know, Jordan Peele and um, uh, what do you call it? Danny McBride, guys like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems John, like the track record John, is good. Uh, a Quiet Place, John. Um, uh, Krasinski, yes. Yeah, but but I mean, I don't know. I think John, John Krasinski definitely made that that leap. Uh, Jordan Peele. Uh, it doesn't act in his movies, you know, right. he, he, he writes and directs and all of that and produces, but he doesn't act. And I wonder if it's because, you know, he's thinking, you know, to me, this is sort of like, what if, um, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy made a horror movie, you know, Vampire uh, in Brooklyn back, back in the eighties, <laughs> you know? Y- yeah. I can't take that seriously. I don't know. I'm going to give it a shot and I hope, I hope he, he proves me wrong, but I'm, well, I mean, he, he is also a very physical comedian. So, yeah. um, I mean, I think but, he knows how to move. He knows how to manipulate his body. I mean, you know, he, he, he's known for being a portly guy, but I mean, I think his history was, he was like a wrestler and everything else. Like he's actually, you know, he's, he's got, he's an a, extremely he's got strength athletic behind him if big guy. No, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that if you translate that into something that's physically imposing, it could work. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it's not only going to depend on him, of course, it's going to depend on how the movie uses him and, you know, the tone and everything else. Yeah. But I mean, I kind of liken this to, um, almost like a John Goodman. Like when I had heard about John Goodman being in 10 Cloverfield Lane, I was, I, I will fully admit I was one of the people that was not very excited about that. Yeah. But obviously, he turned us all around once we saw the stellar performance that he yeah. gave. So yeah, he pulled who knows? it off. He pulled yep. it off. So, well, I'm rooting for him. So I'm going to give it a shot. And that was interesting. It was interesting. Uh, Joel McHale is in this as well. Um, oh, he's great. I like Joel McHale. Yeah, yeah. But um, and Lulu Wilson, well, she's probably in her late in in her middle teens now, and uh, she looks like she's uh, a different person. It's like she's grown up a lot. And it, uh, Redbox Entertainment is behind this. Wow. Oh. Watch mm. out. So maybe they're trying to, you know, get into the production side of things. A little bit too late, if you ask me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> seriously. Um, but anyway, we'll see. Can Can Paul Blart be a villain? We'll see. <laughs> All right. Uh, David Arquette officially confirmed to star in the new Scream movie from the same directors from Ready or Not. That's not, I don't really care about David Arquette. I mean, that's not who I want to, that's not who I want to hear. You know, I don't want to hear that Dewey's coming back. I want to know mm-hmm. that, um, you know, Sydney's coming back and, and, uh, you know, I think Matthew Lillard had expressed interest in coming back. And I really think that, uh, scream right now for a franchise, it doesn't have a bad sequel yet. I don't think so. I like, mm. I like, uh, I like all of them in their own way. Not I'm on the fence on the, the short on the yeah. third one. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Is that which one was that? Was that the one that was uh, terrible? Hair in Hollywood, cut, Courtney right. Cox. Where they were in Hollywood yeah. and they were filming yeah. Stab or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it was still it was still entertaining, guys. Come on, it, it was, was watchable. Uh, I'll yeah. give it watchable. Entertaining might yeah. be a stretch. I love the I'm first not the biggest screen, screen fan in general. Yeah, I'm anyway, not like. So. 
yeah, are you guys, I'm, I'm not excited. Are you for guys ready? Franchise. Are you guys ready for a new scream? Do you think it's time? Do, you know, is it? Uh... It's been long enough. Sure. I mean, I know the hardcores have been, you know, chomping out the bit to get mm. to the, the next scream chapter. So I don't know I'm how many others right. are though. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, at this point, it's been a while since even Scream Four. I'm not so sure, you know, that the younger horror fans are necessarily, uh, you know, clamoring for the next Scream installment. But I don't know. I, I really, I loved Ready or Not, so uh, you know, I'm I'm interested to see what they would do with it. Yeah, it's the the filmmaking group Radio Silence. Um, so they did Ready Ready or Not VHS. Didn't they do something in Southbound? I thought they had a section of in Southbound as well, but I'm not I'm not sure. But what they've done is good, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Kevin Williamson is back as a uh, executive producer, so maybe he'll have a little bit of uh, sway in what they do. But and then the last bit of news is one that I just want to say: Who really gives a crap? Uh, the New Mutants has been moved again, Aww. and will now release in theaters this August. August 28th, 2020. So they say. So here's my question. Is there anybody out there left that cares? I mean, yes. I, I mean, how many times do they have to move this thing? I, I, I think they such... would have. Yeah, you're a big X-Men Ooh, person, Not so you? much X-Men. New Mutants specifically. I love that side story of the X-Men universe. And I am one of the people who are very interested in this film and I hate to be a naysayer, but you know what? If they postpone it 16 more times, I will still be there opening night. I may be 80 by the time it comes out, but whatever. I I am yeah. very excited for this movie. I'm trying not to keep my expectations too high, obviously, because, again, comic book movies, even though over the last 10 years their reputation has gone up, still overall in the history of cinema, comic book movies are still kind of eh, you know, iffy at best. So... Yeah. Um, I'm trying to keep my expectations low, but I do absolutely love that storyline. It, it was one of the few comic books that I was uh, loyal to in the 90s. Well, I mean, I know it's superhero, but it, it's got that horror flair to it, you know, yes. it, that they've they've really made it dark. And this this is something that's been said. And if it's true, I can't wait. It's Dream Warriors-esque. Mm. that's what somebody has said. Uh, I could see that, I guess, but yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. don't know when people see just a, a random group of young people going against uh, a common foe, it seems like dream warriors gets brought up every time. Well, maybe it's because they all have like, they're discovering their own abilities and that, that kind of, yes, that is true. Know. Absolutely. But I mean, that's know. part of the reason that I love this storyline is that they're, they're basically confused kids. Yeah. They're not villains. They're not heroes. They're just normal people with everyday teenage problems, but they also have the ability to wipe out an entire town if they really wanted to. So yeah. there's, there's a cool dichotomy there. Um, you know, between the light and the dark and someone who hasn't established whether they're going to be a hero or a villain yet. That always worked for me. It's yeah. part of the reason why Spider-Man is one of my favorite comic books ever is because Peter Parker is a real person. You know, he's not an alien from Krypton who's unbeatable. He's a teenager with teenage problems. And I've yeah. always appreciated that, especially as a teenager. Yeah. Same here. I mean, I, I'm not going to say like, I don't like, I'll definitely watch this. And if it's out in the theaters, I'll go see it in the theaters. Oh yeah. But like my, my excitement or my expectation has been so tempered because you know, it, it had a long 
when was this thing filmed? 2015? Uh, 15 or 16 originally, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and I, un- I understand they can't control the COVID, you know, situation. Sure. That was supposed to come out on April 3rd. And then um, I was wondering if they were going to do a direct to VOD because some movies have done well that way. But, hey, they think, I look at it this way. It's either they don't have any faith in it, so they're trying to get as much out of it as they can, or they really, really believe in it, <laughs> and they yeah. want as many eyes on it as possible. So Yeah, I, I, think, I think they believe in it. I mean, most of, the, most of the changes that were made to the second version of the film before they actually went back to the original version was just because of the new studio head at that company, who basically decided they didn't want to do a superhero movie that was that dark. So they reshot a bunch of scenes, made it, you know, a little bit funnier, a little bit happier, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, more regime uh, regime changes at Sony. Uh, they ended up wanting to go back to the original version, which is the version we would have gotten uh, earlier this year. So, yeah. you know, who knows? I'm, I'm yeah. hoping that we still get the really dark brooding version because that's what the comic book was. I mean, the comic book was not pretty. And yeah. that's part of why I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll see. And that's really all the news that we're going to spend any time on tonight. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to go around the Rotten Roundtable and talk about what we've been watching. Hey, love horror movies? Yeah, so do we. Handpicked by experts. Psychos, demons, ghosts, the occult, zombies... Killer Kids, Black Magic, Vampires, Shutter Kills, Netflix on selection, Screams on Demand, Shutter.com. All right, we're back, and this is the way it works. We'll go around the table, and we'll just talk about what we've been watching. If it's a newer movie, we will not spoil it. Uh, if it's an older movie, you know, there might be some spoilers, but we're not going to go into any great detail about these movies. Just a quick what we thought um, and, and whether we recommend it or not. So the idea is to get around the table a few times and get as many movie recommendations or avoids as we can here in the next hour or so. So um, because it's your first time, Revenant Vin, why don't you tell us what you've been watching? All right. I'm going to I'll start off with the one that I watched last night. Uh, that's the Thai horror film The Promise. Uh, available on Netflix. Um, it's uh, it was a pretty pretty solid ghost story. Um, it it opens up in 1997 during the uh, Asian financial crisis when Thailand and also other countries uh, in Asia were basically their economies were bottoming out. Um, there was you know lots of suicides at the time, mm-hmm. um, and you have these two teenage girls who are best friends. Uh, both their their families are in complete dire straits and they pretty much make a suicide pact, but one of them gets scared and backs out of it. Now the other one succeeds at it. Uh, and then the film goes 20 years in the future or well, you know, present day basically for 2017. And, uh, the kind of vengeful ghost starts affecting the girl who backed out her daughter who's around the same age that they were at the time in 1997. Um, so I don't want to give any more than that, but uh, this is a pretty well done ghost story. Um, I like the plotting. 
I like the way a lot of the set pieces uh, played out. Um, it doesn't shy away from tragedy. Um, it's it's a little bit long for a fairly straightforward story. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my biggest gripe about it was the music. Uh, it it felt very TV movie at times, uh, making the film kind of feel like a cheap drama, <laughs> um, especially when the scenes are emotional. They're emotionally affecting as they were without the music, and then the music hits and it just kind of cheapens it. Uh, with a different score, I think the film could have been more effective. Um, but overall, I, I thought that it was is well done and it had some heart. Um, and you know, I'm I'm a sucker for a good ghost story, and I thought this one was pretty decent. I didn't even know it was on Netflix. I, I saw it uh, a couple of years ago. Actually, it was made in 2017, and I believe I got a screener for, for it. And uh, I'm always hankering for screeners of these uh, Asian movies <laughs> because I think they it got released in Netflix this year. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know that. I'm going to put it in my queue and, and rewatch it because I remember liking it, um, but I haven't thought about it in in two years. So yep, that's another thing. You know, when it's, I think it's going to be a 2020 release for me. You know, because nobody has seen this. Mm-hmm. Because if it just came out um, streaming for the masses on Netflix in 2020, you know, unless you lived in, uh, you know, Th- uh, Thailand or where it was Thailand, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then you didn't see this. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> All right. Have you seen that one, Jerry? I have not. Okay. All right. So that's the promise. Thanks, Vin. And let's go over to Jerry, Mr. Venom. Uh, All right. I will also go with the movie that I just watched last night. It's been, uh, it dropped on Shudder last week, I believe. This is a South Korean monster movie. Um, Obviously, when people say South Korean monster movie, most of us in the community think of the host. Mm -hmm. Um, This movie is great, but it is not the host by any stretch. It doesn't have the comedy or the charm that that movie did. Uh, But this movie is called Monstrum. It is currently available on Shudder. Officially, it is a 2018 movie, but it only played in South Korea in 2018. And then for the last year and a half, it's just done the festival runs. Uh, I'm I'm looking at the list of uh, dates and they're all basically festival dates until, like I said last week, when it dropped on Shudder for those of us in North America. And man, I got to say, I love this movie. This is um, uh, this is basically a movie um, about a disgraced uh, former member of the king's royal guard who is forced who is exiled from the kingdom and is forced to live alone but then shortly well not shortly excuse me th- uh, 13 years after he is exiled from the um, from the castle uh, the king reappears at his doorstep basically begging him to come back to work for him because this person was the king's basically most trusted and most skilled royal guard And basically what's happening is there are rumors of a monster marauding the countryside in a village or a city in South Korea called Jozan, which we all today know as Seoul, Korea, uh, South Korea, excuse me. Um, And then basically the movie kind of goes from there in the sense that it's a mystery because we don't see any kind of creature at first. And then basically the king has different people in his cabinet in his ear 
some are telling him, oh, the monster must be true. I've seen the bodies. And then other people are saying, no, no, this is just a rumor. This is your enemies trying to get the people against you by you not acting on this, you know, report of a monster, blah, blah, blah. So basically for the first half of the movie, it's basically a mystery. Is the monster real? Is it not? Uh, our question is answered about halfway through the movie. And then from there, it just turns into a total action horror fest. We get some spectacularly shot fight sequences with um, very odd camera movements. Um, I call it bullet time and normal time because they're fighting at normal speed, but the camera is like revolving all around and like doing a lot of swish pans and side to side things. Um, but it's so masterfully shot that you never get confused as to who you're watching. It's one of those things where there are there is shaky cam, but because of how it was shot, you can still tell where the main guy is in the in this big battle. You can tell where his number two is in the battle, where his daughter is, things like that. So um, the cinematography overall is gorgeous. I mean, the, the opening 10 minutes of this movie are just stellar as far as cinematography, the, the exterior shots of the castle and the kingdom. And then once they actually get to the, the village where this perceived monster is attacking people, you can actually see how the white balance in the camera changes. So it makes the village look a little grayer, a little more um, kind of uh, muted tones, uh, you know, kind of show off that they're poor, they're, they're not as colorful, uh, quote unquote, as the people in the kingdom. Um, but I don't want to get into any, you know, uh, any more plot points from there. Uh, all I can say is this is a great monster movie. Like I said earlier, it's not quite the host, but I, I feel like this is my monster movie of the year so far for 2020. I had an ear to ear grin throughout um, the things that some people might kind of rally against with this movie are. One, some of the CG on the monster is a little questionable. Overall, the monster looks great. Mm -hmm. um, and the shots, the battle sequences, everything, they all look awesome. It's just every now and again, they light the creature kind of oddly compared to how the rest of the scene is lit. So instead of the creature looking like a living, breathing organism that's actually occupying space in that castle, it kind of looks almost cartoonish at times um but it's really this it's really a minor nitpick I'm, I'm accentuating it even more than it actually is it's a really minor nitpick it's just one or two quick shots where you're just like oh that didn't look very good um and then the other thing is going to be the political aspects of it the movie is very political there aren't like a lot of scenes of the king and his cabinet you know talking back and forth there's a couple here and there and they're only like a few minutes long so it's not like i ever, I ever found myself bored because I'm I'm the kind of person that as soon as a movie starts veering towards politics, I, I tend to lose, um, you know, my attention. It, it it loses my attention, but in this case, it never lost. Uh, you know, it never lost me. I was riveted the entire movie. It is also a little long. It's an hour and forty five minutes. I know some people in our community kind of don't always gravitate towards movies that are over ninety minutes, but this movie, it it's got great pacing. Um, in my opinion, there's no slow spots. Um, even even the political kind of aspects, they're acted so well. The king does a great job. Our main royal guard, his name is Yoon Gyom. 
Um, he does, has a great performance. His daughter is um, actually a pop star in a K-pop band called Girls Day. So she's actually, this is like her, it's her cinematic acting debut. She's done some television in South Korea, but this is her first feature film. And I think everyone in the movie did a great job. So yeah, if you've got a Shutter account or access to one, by all means, check out Monstrum 2018. Yeah, I'm going to echo that. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, I'm going to say it. I liked it better than the host. <laughs> but Ooh. yeah, but this I is like a, the monster. I, yeah. like, I, I like a lot of the monster stuff. But as far as like the heart of the movie, like the relationships, I, I just found the two older gentlemen and the host just so they tickled me. You know, it, yeah, it was so yeah. entertaining. Whereas this movie doesn't really intentionally go for laughs ever. You'll get a couple of chuckles, obviously, with the, you know, the the main guard and his number two, who he calls his brother. I don't think they're blood brothers. I think they just call each other brother because they were both in the Royal Guard. But yeah. um, for whatever it's worth, the host for me is just a more enjoyable experience because of the intentional comedy. This movie is just, just a great straightforward, you know, it's more horror, action. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I liked it because, uh, it, it's a period piece, you know, it's 16th century Korea. I enjoy that, um, tremendously. Uh, Vin, I think you'd like this movie a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, you. and, and, you know, the same thing with the host. I mean, both are CGI monsters mm -hmm. and, and, and there's parts of the host that, that look a little wonky and you just have to kind of look past it. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to, cause this is a large beast, mm. you know, so it's not as easy to do practically. Uh, so that, I think there will be some people that, oh, you know, these okay. modern horror movies, everything CG, but it, you just got to look past it. it it's still a, still a really good movie, so I'd oh, recommend yeah. it as well. Yep. All right. guess it's up to me, uh, and I'm going to go with another Shudder release that came out a few weeks ago, uh, and it's called Z. Anybody else seen it yet? Not yet. Yeah. Believe it or not, it's going to be on the next episode of Fresh Cuts, but I have yet to watch it. Okay. <laughs> Well, when Beth and Kevin's eight-year-old son Joshua develops an imaginary friend named Z, they think it's cute. But they soon realize just how wrong they are. Z becomes a terrible influence on Josh, and their innocent son turns into someone they barely recognize. It's only when Beth starts uncovering her own past that she learns that Josh's new friend Z may not be so imaginary after all. <laughs> uh, directed by Brandon Christensen, also written by him. 83 minutes long, so it's a pretty swift uh, uh, nice. mover. Uh, Keegan Connor Tracy is the only actress that I uh, recognized in this movie. And I can't even tell you what else she's in. Um, Final Destination 2 and The Descendants 3, which is kind of like a, a Disney-type movie. Yeah. Uh, she's been in a bunch of stuff and you'll recognize her face. Um, but uh, other than that, it's a lot of, uh, newcomers. The kid, uh, in this is, is, is really good. I thought he was a little, uh, a little creepy, but it's really not about a creepy kid. You know, it's about this, uh, this, uh, imaginary friend. And, and to me, it's not just your typical imaginary friend movie. We've, we've seen that before. There's a twist in it. Uh, where it kind of really involves his mother 
and I'll just leave it at that. And it, it, I thought it was really good. I thought it was a, uh, uh, creepy in certain parts. I thought the acting was really good. The cinematography was really good. Again, it's got some wonky CGI that mm. might throw some people off. Okay. Um, the creature is not, uh, 100%, you know, practical and, uh, that might, you know, throw people off, but I think it's a, uh, it's a good movie. And right now it's, in, it's sitting in my top 20 of the year. Um, whether it stays there depends on what comes out the rest of the year, but it's definitely something that's worth watching. And, and especially it's on shutter dropped on shutter. It's got a good, uh, tomato meter. It's got a good audience score. So most people that watch it are, uh, are digging it. So, uh, that's called Z the letter cool. Z. Yep. There you I go. I look forward to it. Yep. Vin back to you. Uh, we might as well stick with shutter. Uh, Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I watch blood quantum. All right. Um, nice. And I really enjoyed this one. Uh, you know, it, it definitely, it, you know, zombie films have certainly had a long history of dealing with, um, you know, social commentary and uh, look at things like racial tension, all that kind of stuff. And and this one, I think, is a pretty good addition to that. Um, we have a we have a town that for the first like fifteen or twenty minutes or so, we're kind of seeing the beginning of a zombie outbreak. But they're giving us a feel for how the town is organized. So you have like this, you have this river and a bridge going across the river. And on one side, you kind of have this affluent white town. And on the other side is the Indian reservation. And it's, it's pretty much, you know, it's pretty run down. It's definitely, definitely the poorer area uh, of that, of that uh, immediate area. Um, And then the film ends up fast forwarding. And what you end up seeing is kind of a reversal of things. Uh, where the reservation becomes the thing that people aspire to, you know, and the what used to be the affluent side is now, you know, a hellhole basically. Um, and we have a reversal of fortune between whites and Native Americans. Uh, and I, I, they have some playful things with that. Um, yeah, there's <laughs> there's a scene where um, this isn't a spoiler. This is a very quick scene. Uh where an infected blanket is brought into the reservation by a white man and it's then taken from him and burned. And I have to imagine this scene was of particular symbolic importance, <laughs> you know, cause if you know anything about infected blankets and native Americans, there's definitely an incident that happened in the 18th century um, where they tried to intentionally give smallpox to a native American population. I think it was during the French and Indian war. Um, so I'm pretty sure that was, uh, that was entirely on purpose. Um, mm. But yeah, I thought that, you know, there was some interesting social commentary going on with this one. Uh, I don't want to give too much away because there are actually some surprises. There's some surprising deaths uh, when they occur, where they occur. Uh, there is a cast of fun characters. The grandfather was great. Um, you know, they it, it's they definitely go for the gore in this and the yes. fun. It's it's low budget, but they make the most of it. Um, yeah. So and there's also there's a lot of heart in this film. Uh, you know, I thought I, where they took the film, it's, it, it's a very bittersweet type of ending, man. It's not, you know, zombie apocalypse is never a good thing for anybody. Uh, and this definitely lets you see that. Um, but I really, I really like this one blood quantum. I haven't seen most of the major releases this year yet. Uh, you know, I'm still catching up with things, but this is definitely one, one of the favorite ones that I've seen this year so far. Yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely worth a watch. It's uh, it's up there for me. Uh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of tired of zombies a little bit, but this one, 
it, to me, it has to have heart. And this one had that. Mm-hmm. And I like yeah. that whole also, you know, indigenous people kind of, yeah. Go yeah. ahead, Venom. Um, that opening scene is spectacular. I think yeah. that that is one of the best opening scenes I've ever seen in a zombie movie. It's so <laughs> subtle. Uh, I know it's going to make some people laugh when they see it because it just kind of strikes them as so unusual that they just have to laugh at it. But I found it just so like I was riveted the entire scene, um, especially, you know, when uh, our the sheriff who we follow through the majority of the movie has to do something specific in that opening 10, 15 minutes that is heartbreaking to, you know, pet lovers. I'll just leave it at that. But um, mm-hmm. it's I, I found that scene just. I thought this is exactly how a zombie apocalypse would work. I, I felt that way anyway. Obviously, we're talking about fiction, so who knows? But like, I don't think that we would just wake up one morning and there'd be hordes of living dead running the streets. There would be small little incidences like this. And I thought they absolutely nailed it. And then as far as just the overall film, easily my zombie film of the year so far, Um I love the characters. I love the relationships in the movie. Uh, Vin was talking about a lot of the social commentary in there. Um, There's also a very specific reason why the movie is set in 1981. If you don't know that, do some research on Canadian history and provincial law from 1981. There was a major... uh, signing of of, of I, I forget exactly what it was called, but it was it was something to do with uh, trades and exchange through provinces in Canada, and it left um, Indigenous people in Canada kind of high and dry. So um, a lot of people are wondering why this movie is set in 1981, even though they don't they don't really utilize the 80s aesthetic, which is just another reason for me to love this movie. They're not cramming the 80s down my throat, you know, like a Stranger Things or a Summer of '84. It it, in fact, there's very little reference to anything of the 80s. You know, it's like, you know, no one's talking about pop culture. No one's talking about music. It's all just about this zombie apocalypse on the, uh, what is it, the Micmac Reservation in Canada. And I also wanted to point out, too, the writer and director of this movie, his name is Jeff Barnaby. Check out one of his earlier movies. Um, it has one of the greatest names ever. I love this title. Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Um, it's from 2013. It is another horror film based on the Micmac Reservation. But th- instead of this one uh, being uh, zombies, uh, this one in particular is more about human antagonists. So definitely check that out. Once again, you've got some great performances by really young actors. Um, you're even going to recognize some people if you've already seen Blood Quantum. But yeah, um, I can't say enough good things about Blood Quantum. That movie was great. We reviewed it also on No More Room in Hell uh, last month sometime. And everybody on the show overwhelmingly loved it. So yeah, this gets my highest recommendation. Yep. So three three recommendations for Blood Quantum. All right. We're back up to you, Mr. Venom. <laughs> All right. The next thing that I can talk about is uh, a movie came out last month. Um, It was reviewed um, on Jason Lloyd's Bloody Bits podcast by Neil Lemoy and Suzanne from the NFW podcast. And that movie is called Penance Lane. It actually stars Taylor Maine, who most people remember as uh, Michael Myers in the Rob Zombie um, Halloween movies. Big boy. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yes, very big boys, <laughs> six foot nine or something like that. I mean, he is, yeah. he, he's gigantic. Um, 
And even standing next to wrestlers like Diamond Dallas Page and Booker T, who are both also in this movie. Um, yeah, he he's just stands heads and shoulders above all of them. But yeah, basically he plays a con man who was just released from prison. Um, while he was in prison, he was cellmates with Booker T, who uh, relayed a story to him how Booker T and, a, and his gang of thugs uh, stole $3 million. And what, what ended up happening was they went to a house on Penance Lane, of course, in this small town where they were going to hide the money and then go their separate ways. And then once all the heat was off, come back and get the money. Well, um, much to their chagrin, when they got to the house that they thought was abandoned, it's actually occupied by a lot of um, antagonists. I'm just going to say antagonists because it will give away too much if I say what it is. Um the movie overall is above average. The first two acts are very slow and you do have to deal with acting from professional wrestlers. And you even got Taylor Maine attempting to act because obviously Taylor Maine's strength is yeah. his size, strength and just his menacing figure. Um, he's not terrible, though. I mean, he's better than the wrestlers. I'll give him that. Diamond Dallas Page basically plays himself. He plays a biker. So he's literally playing himself, so he's believable. Booker T, unfortunately, not as believable as a thug. Um, you know, it definitely, when he's talking into the camera, it really does sound like he's doing a wrestling promo a lot of times. So you kind of mm. have to deal with a lot of that character development. Um, but we also got uh, Scout Taylor Compton in this one, who will, uh, I know a lot of people in the community are fans of her. I'm kind of indifferent myself. I mean, she's cute, but I, I've I, never really... I think she's... I think she's by far the best actor in this movie. Um, I th oh, yeah. I think so. Uh, I th the, I she's thought been the picking movies. She's mm -hmm. been picking movies where she's like head and shoulders above the other people. And I'm not sure. You know, I think she's a good actress. I really do. She's not terrible, but yeah, you're right. She's uh, she's got some questionable tastes and scripts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she. I, you know, we we talked about what Temple, right? We we actually reviewed yeah. Temple on this show. And, you know, that was it's Ghost average. House, too. Huh? Yes, Ghost House. That was another one. My God. So, yeah, I mean, you know, she's she's yeah. she mm -hmm. I don't know if that's something that she's purposely doing. Like she wants to be the best actress in the movie. But whatever for whatever it's worth, it's not really going to advance her career all that much. She needs to start picking better scripts. But for whatever it's worth, like I said, the first two acts are a little slow. You got character development. Um, the, they develop multiple characters, um, from people in that town, the sheriff, um, scouts, Taylor Compton herself, her mother, various other people in the town. But then the third act, man, the third act saves this movie. In my opinion, like I was, I was almost ready to turn this off at about the one hour mark. Like I, it was just, I just felt like it was an okay, um, quote unquote haunted house movie because we didn't actually see who the antagonists were until late in the film. Um, so it does come off kind of like a haunted house film early on, but then of course we get the answer of what's going on. Uh, there is a big conspiracy that involves um, all the residents of this town. Um, I'll leave it at that. But like I said, the third act for me, so action packed, really gory, some pretty good kills. 
Um, and, you know, obviously Taylor Maine gives you somebody to root for, even though he is a criminal with nefarious intentions at this house, he does end up becoming the hero of the film. So, um, you know, which is kind of a common trope, obviously, in, in our genre. But yeah, I wouldn't say that this movie gets a high recommend from me. I would say if you don't have anything left on your queue, which would almost be impossible for folks like us, but if you don't have a whole lot left to watch and you can watch it for free, currently it's only available on VOD. I would not recommend spending money on this. But if you can find it, you know, if, if it ever shows up on Shutter or Netflix or anything like that, check it out. The third act at the least is worth checking out. And then obviously the antagonists themselves, like the things in the basement, if you will. Mm -hmm. I thought they were done very well. I thought the backstory for them was decent. Like I said, it just it took too long to get there. That was the only that was my major problem with the movie. What'd you think, Mark? Yeah, uh, Scott Crawford saw this one and and recommended it. And I, I'm I'm about right where you are. I think it's mm -hmm. it's worth watching if you don't have anything else to watch. But like, wait for it to come to Tubi or oh yeah or something where you're not going to have to spend you know five bucks uh, because it's you know it's low budge. And, um, you know, the, the acting is not that great. And like you said, it, it is a little slow at the beginning mm -hmm. and, uh, it does have a good third act. So I'm right there with you. It, it's, it's slightly above average, but it's, it's nothing to write home about, um, yep. for me, nothing to spend money on, but no, definitely not. But yeah. like I said, you got a Saturday afternoon and it pops up on HBO or something like that. Check it out. All right. Okay. My next one just came out, um, I think last week. Um, on iTunes, it might be on VOD, uh, as well. And it is called a good woman is hard to find. Anyone else seen this yet? No, no, no. Okay. This is more of a revenge thriller than it would be a straight horror movie. But what you've got here is a girl named Sarah, who is a recently widowed young mother. She has a small son named Ben, and he is uh, not spoken since the day he saw his father being stabbed to death. Um, police have done nothing to catch the killer. She kind of lives in a rough neighborhood. And then this guy named Tito busts into her house uh, because he has stolen a bunch of drugs and stuff from drug dealers, and he's hiding from them. And uh, with a gun and, and a knife, you know, he threatens her and he hides the, the drugs in her apartment. Um, she's very, you know, frightened, of course, and she wasn't, wasn't anything to do with this. But she kind of figures out this is an opportunity to see if this, you know, gangbanger or whatever might have some information about what happened to her husband. And it goes from there um, you know, where she kind of figures out what happened to her husband and she gets revenge. Uh, there's some bloody parts in this movie. It's got a really good performance by Sarah Bolger. I think it's Bolger or Bolger. I don't know how you say it. Uh, you might know her from being the lead character in 2016's Emily. Mm. Uh, she was also in the Lazarus effect and the moth diaries. So she's been in some horror movies before Uh good looking young lady, but she, it's just her, um, her, uh, acting in this movie is really good and she carries the whole movie. Um, I, I, am not going to spoil a whole lot. There's, there's some parts where you're like, Oh my God, did she really just do that? Um, it's a slow burn and the ending is, is definitely worth, uh, watching. So, um, 
Yeah, that's it, man. That's all I'm going to say about it. A, a good woman is hard to find. Don't go in expecting like a straight horror. There's nothing supernatural going on here. This is just a, a, a really good woman scorned gets revenge type of movie. Nice. Yep. All right, Vin. Did, 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 yeah, go did ahead. you happen to catch that show reprisal? It's not horror related, but it, it's another really great um, woman yeah. getting revenge. Did you see that? Yeah, Tammy, Tammy has recommended that to me so many times, and it's in yeah. my queue. I actually got rid of Hulu, uh, uh, so that's where it's, it's what it's on. But uh, yeah. I might do a little, um, you know, finagling and get a, like a free uh, month or so and, and try to watch that because yeah, she said it was really really good. Yeah, yeah, I actually have a friend in there. Uh, he's actually, he's not one of the main, but he's definitely a secondary character. He's in every episode, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I thought the show was really great. For being non-horror, it's very violent, um, you know, very uh, very action-packed, at least later on in the show. Maybe not so much early, obviously, where they're still establishing characters and kind of the yep. storyline, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, great little show. Yep. Yeah, I, I think most people um, who enjoy like a good uh, revenge film will, will like this. They really yes, will. Exactly. I think I think they will. So, all right, Vin. Uh, so my wife and I watched uh, Daughters of Darkness from Ooh. 1971. Nice. Um, some erotic, artsy, euro horror. No, uh, but it's it, it's it's more like art house. Um, it is European. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, European co-production. Uh, one of the things I like about it is that, you know, usually these co-productions, their, their voices are dubbed over and this one. It's not, you hear everybody's natural voice. They're mostly natural accents. Um, although the main, the main guy, uh, John Kaplan is, he's American, but he had kind of, he speaks with a slight European accent, uh, indistinguishable one. Uh, <laughs> but, um, he, he plays this young man who marries this, uh, this young woman kind of impulsively, uh, and they end up staying a couple nights at a, a seaside luxury hotel. That's basically empty because of it's out of, it's, you know, it's not in season. Um, and two other guests end up staying there and two kind of sultry vampires. Um, one of them who's, is basically supposed to be Elizabeth Bathory. Uh, played by, I'm going to anglicize this, uh, Delphine Seyrig. Um, I know somebody who was very well known in European cinema at the time. Um, unfortunately, I'm not entirely familiar with her catalog, but she's very well cast. Um, she has this great kind of natural smoky voice, uh, very striking features. Uh, they do a very interesting thing with the vampire, uh, the two women's wardrobes. They kind of dress them as almost like these 1920s or 30s socialites, um, but of course in the 1970s. But they really kind of stand out. And uh, what they did with Elizabeth Bathory's wardrobe was kind of give her colors of uh, red, black, and white, kind of very standard Nazi type colors um, to kind of suggest a little bit of a, a darker fascist bent to her. Um, but basically, they're they're kind of seducing this couple, um, and it's. The film kind of feels like it's it builds to something that never entirely gets off the ground. It's a it's a quiet movie. Um, it's a quiet exploration, and it kind of gets into the blurring of the lines between sex and violence and lust and anger. 
uh, you know, she's kind of driving these people, especially the guy, to uh, maybe indulge in some darker impulses. Uh, just when you think the movie's going to kind of get off the ground, it, it ends up ending. Um, so you're not going to go in there expecting a thrill ride. But if you want something kind of quiet, something very artsy, um, that's kind of within that lesbian vampire schema that was going on in the early 70s, although there's definitely more heterosexual sex and lesbian sex in this, um, I, I do think it's it's definitely worth checking out. It's it's still overall a pretty good movie. All right. Hmm. Daughters of Darkness. I've, I've, I've heard the name. I thought it was Hammer, but uh, I'm going to throw it down on my, on my to-watch list. Yeah, I know I've seen it. It's definitely been over 20 years, but I remember seeing it. And I do remember walking away thinking it was a pretty entertaining film. I couldn't tell you anything about it at this point, but I do remember enjoying it. It's a lot of people sitting in a hotel. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's not like it's action-packed or anything like that. No. <laughs> All right. Venom, what you got? All right. I'm going to come in here with a movie that I'm positive has been discussed on the roundtable, either – the last episode or the one before that, but I'm still going to bring it up anyway because I'm going to be the voice of dissension for this one. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're this, talking about. <laughs> this is a movie that a lot of people have been, you know, praising, uh, talking about its great um, creature design, its great uh, performances, um, blah, blah, blah. And ultimately, as I'm watching the movie, I'm, I feel like it's an adult, goosebumps episode that literally that's how i felt and not a very good one either and unfortunately that movie is the wretched um like i said a lot of people are talking very highly about this movie the movie's not bad don't get me wrong i'm not going to sit here and say it's an awful movie i just there's multiple things wrong with the movie the continuity is kind of weird at times um, our main character, our, our, the main uh, protagonist is a young you know, teenage kid that we follow, and he is just one of the most unlikable main characters ever. I just, he's not necessarily overtly a jerk, but he's just such a wishy-washy little idiot that I, I just I, I can't you know, support him. For example, there's a scene where he's about to kiss the girl that he's been kind of crushing on for the last week or so. And unfortunately, he's at a party drunk. So he ends up vomiting, um, not on the girl, thankfully, but uh, she ends up leaving. And then literally less than three minutes later, this idiot is naked in a pool with another girl. And it, that's just one of many examples of why this guy is just not very likable. And yes, I I understand that in the third act he does have his redemption moment. Dude, he's uh, a teenage boy. Little. I understand, <laughs> but I, I just uh, it's just it was too little, too late for me. I mean, like I said, especially after coming off a few foreign movies in a row where they actually do um, younger actors correctly. Um, you know, obviously, I just talked about Monstrum. And the girl, the young girl in there who does a stellar job. This one, like I said, I just can't get behind it. I do agree that the design of the witch was very cool looking. It was, you know, slightly different, you know, not, not the traditional, you know, Hansel and Gretel type witch by any stretch. But um, we get very little explanation as to what this person is. I think she's called the skin... Uh, what is it? The skin jump hag or something like that? Because basically she's a witch that can jump from person to person, blah, blah, blah. That's about all I'll say about the major plot points of the movie. But 
All I can say is for the first hour of the film, literally I wrote in my notes multiple times, this is an adult goosebumps. This is an adult. Um, are you afraid of the dark? You know, this, this story literally, literally would have been more serviceable in a half hour or one hour format for, you know, one of those types of shows. And when I see that, I just, I'm just like, why did they decide to make this a feature? It just, like I said, there's a lot about the movie that didn't work for me. So just realize that, you know, there's always that voice of dissension out there, no matter how many people love a movie. And this one is, especially in our community, our very tight-knit community, it's getting a lot of praise. And I can see why it's getting the praise. Like I said, it's not a bad film. It's got some decent cinematography. I'm not a big fan of the score, but the score works for a lot of people. Um, I thought that there was some cool imagery at the very beginning, the very opening scene of the film, um, which occurs uh, 35 years um, before present day. So like 1985 sometime. Um, So a lot of the movie worked for me, but unfortunately a lot more of the movie didn't work for me. And I just found it kind of dull, kind of an uneventful climax and not a very satisfying one either. So yeah. Um, not a whole lot of positives I can say about the wretched, but just remember people don't drink the Kool-Aid just cause everybody loves something doesn't mean you're going to love it. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I live by that. <laughs> I disagree highly. Thought I'm it was sure a, you do brother. Thought it was a very fun movie. And I mean, you say it's like an, an, an adult goosebumps. So is Fright Night. So is Fright Night. I mean, it's, <sighs> it's very similar and it's, and it's, uh, you know, tone and all of that I, I you know it's nothing like groundbreaking but i think it was just a, a heck of a good time and i, I didn't have a problem with the lead character yeah. at all i had a hundred times better uh better more fun with fright night than with this thing um well, like i'm not I said, saying I, that it's as good as fright night okay i'm not oh, no, saying no, no, that I'm just but, saying but even, even yeah. like your your comparison to how fun the movie is like I wasn't having fun and part of part of what makes a movie fun is that you're getting behind one of the characters that you either sympathize or empathize with one or more of the characters in the movie. Ultimately, everybody in this movie, almost everybody in this movie is unlikable other than maybe our main protagonist dad and the girl that he has a crush on. Pretty much everybody else in this movie does very little for me. Um, like I said, the witch design is okay and it is cool to kind of see her, um, exit a body, if you will, I'll leave it at that, but that's very visceral, very cool looking. So like I said, the movie has its positives. I just don't think that it's the overwhelming, um, you know, good time of 2020 that a lot of people are making it out to be. So that's all go in with the presentation. I have not. Okay. Don't listen to Jerry. <laughs> just go ahead and watch it. No, please. I would love to find out what Vic thought of it. I just, I like I said, I, I, I don't find it ultra artistic. Uh, hell, I think the movie poster is one of the most artistic things of the whole movie. I love that movie poster. I thought that was really well done, and it got me excited for the movie because, as most of my listeners know, I don't watch trailers. I go into my movies as absolutely blind as I possibly can. I didn't I didn't even read a synopsis, so I didn't even know that this was like a witch type movie, mm-hmm. which is right in the synopsis on IMDb, so it's not much of a spoiler. But um, like I said, it just had a lot of elements that had me rolling my eyes, uh, some filmmaking choices that I didn't really agree with, some storytelling choices I didn't really agree with. So like I said, not a bad movie, just didn't work for me. 
All right. All right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, rail you too much on it, but uh, yeah, just know nice. that, just know that I recommend it and Mr. Venom doesn't, right? Or, <laughs> or do you, do you, do you say, is it sort of like Penance Lane where watch it if it's free and, you know? Um, I could see why more people would like this than Penance Lane. I mean, like I said, Penance Lane, at least the third act worked for me because of how action packed it was and visceral. And I like watching, you know, large hulking men beat the hell out of other men. Obviously, I'm a UFC fan, so it makes sense. But um, I can, like I said, I can see why the general masses would probably prefer the wretched. Um, it's a little bit different, more different than Penance Lane is anyway. Penance Lane is fairly color by numbers, which is fine. I mean, as long as it's done well, it's okay. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I can see why more people like The Wretched, would like The Wretched more than Penance Lane. It just, I don't know, maybe maybe my expectations were too high. Maybe I heard too much positive reviews. This is part of the reason why I try to watch movies when they're as absolutely new as possible. I don't want to know anybody's opinion on it. I don't want to be jaded in the slightest. And unfortunately, it it was about a week before I could get to The Wretched. And in that week, people were just you know talking it up so much. And even yeah. today, either today or yesterday, an article came out where the Wretched is actually the number one movie in the country over the last three weeks. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I yeah. mean, I, I've been wrong before. I think it happened well, once. I mean, days. you're not wrong if you, you it, it's your opinion. So you oh, know, yeah. there's, there's no wrong opinions, right? That's what I said. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll still give it its credit for its objective, uh, objectively good filmmaking choices that they made. Like I said, it's a very competently well-made uh, film. It's it's probably a better-made film than Penance Lane, obviously, uh, honestly, because Penance Lane even looks more indie than this one. Yeah. But um, like I said, it just it, the story and the characters just didn't do it for me. All right, all right. Well, it's back to me, and I'm going with a 2020 movie. Well, I don't know if it's 2019, but it just came out in 2020. Uh, I rented it on iTunes, and it's called Zombie Child. Has anybody watched this one? Haven't watched it yet. Heard the title. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's set in, uh, it starts out here uh, in Haiti, 1962, and a man is brought back from the dead only to be sent to the living hell of the sugarcane fields. And then in Paris, 55 years later, uh, at the prestigious Legion d'Honneur boarding school, a Haitian girl confesses an old family secret to a group of new friends, never imagining that this strange tale will convince a heartbroken classmate to do the unthinkable. Basically, what you got is is um, a, a group of girls. Um, you know, don't, I'm not. I'm, I don't want to spoil it. You know, they're doing like uh, uh, kind of like the séance type thing. It's a drama first. I'm going to say that. Uh, you hear the word zombie in Haitian and you think this is going to be, uh, lots of, uh, you know, zombies walking around and stuff. It's not that it's drama fantasy with a, a small tinge of horror. Um, it's 103 minutes. So it runs a little bit long and it is, uh, in French with subtitles. Uh, I would again, please watch it with subtitles. Don't watch a, a, a dubbed version. And I think this is a real slow burn uh, film. It's got a lot of um, social political commentary in it, uh, but I, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all the performances. The cinematography is really really nice. The score is good. 
and I don't know any of the actors or actresses in this, you know, cause they're all French, but definitely, definitely worth your time. If you like slow burn, uh, drama horror. And I, and I'll just want to really, really stress that, you know, cause it, it, it there's not a, a ton of, of stuff happening here. There's a lot of character building, uh, but I enjoyed it. So it's called zombie child. All right. Uh, Vin, um, watched one i think that this is a a wide release this year um called nesting dolls have you guys seen this one it's on my uh list and i haven't seen it yet okay um directed by robbie snow i think it's a first time director um i i enjoyed this one um it's three sorority sisters they're at a lake house um for like a long weekend and uh Two of them play kind of a cruel prank on the third, and things go wrong very quickly. And it results in one of them basically being tied to a chair for most of the movie, um, and sometimes being tortured. And uh, it, it's it's much more much more of a psychological type thing, a little more thriller like than in, you know outright horror. Um, and it's again, this is a slower paced film. I wouldn't call it slow burn, but it is slower paced. Um, but I found it interesting throughout. Um, there is a really good long tracking shot about halfway through the movie uh, that when you see it, you'll you'll know what I mean. I, I thought they did a very good job with it. Um, there's good performances from all three of the girls, and you know they they really carry the movie themselves. Um, and it seems the overall thing of the movie, I think, is kind of about it's it's hard to get what the message is here, <laughs> um, especially with the way that it ends. But it's kind of like the the fake friendships of sororities. It seems to be what they're they're kind of talking about here. Um, there's a lot of talk of like sisters and friends, but really it's about networking and getting ahead. Uh, you know, all the all the niceties are really just window dressing. Um, and that's, that kind of seems to be what the message is here. Um, but I, I enjoyed this one. It's not going to be for everybody, but, uh, I, as far as I'm concerned, it was pretty good and I would recommend it. So that's a uh, nesting dolls. When, what, what kind of horror would you say it is? Is it like, is it like a slasher or is it like, no, uh, do not look for high body counts. Um, it's, uh, I mean, like I said, it's it's a girl. She's tied to a chair most of the film, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes has some pretty awful things happening to her. Um, so you know, it's kind of a, a captive horror film. Um, captivity you know, horror. she's yeah, yeah, it's captivity. Uh, that's pretty much what it is, and she's trying to figure out ways to escape, um, and things don't always go very well. Uh, so it, you know, it, things escalate here and there, and you just kind of see it, have to see it play out, but don't expect anything like crazy or wild it's again this is another film that i think it's i think it's pretty low budget but it's filmed really well um they did a good job making what they could of the location of you know the the cinematography is pretty good um you know like i said the performances are good uh it's not going to blow you away but i think it's it's a solid film but yeah i'd say pretty much captivity horror it sounds by listening to you describe it it sounds a little bit like incident in a ghost land would you would you say it's kind of like that it's not nearly that extreme Okay, cool. Yeah, it's it's not it doesn't go into almost like a grindhouse type territory or like yeah. it's not like French extremism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not like that. <laughs> this is a this is a much quieter film than that. Um gotcha. it's it's not balls to the wall 
uh, or anything like that. It's much more about these three girls and trying to mind F each other and get one up <laughs> on the other um, and seeing, you know, who's going to actually, you know, grow a set of ovaries and actually, you know, take matters into the, the hands that they're supposed to be. Oh, in. Um, but like now, I said, but... I, I, don't, I don't want to oversell this film. It's, sure, it's sure. a quiet indie film, you know, it's <laughs> and it's like it's like an hour and 40 or something like that. Maybe maybe it goes a little bit long than it, longer than it should. But, um, you know, you're not going to walk away thinking that you saw the greatest thing at all. But I, I think that it was solid. Cool. Good. Uh, back to you, Jerry. All right. Well, uh, this is going to be my first older movie. Uh, this is a movie from 1999. It is from Japan. Go figure. It is a Japanese zombie movie, and it is and part of the reason I wanted to bring it up because it's a movie that I've never even heard of until a month ago, and uh, I watched it last week, and I'm absolutely in love with it now. So, fans, obviously. Fans of Japanese horror know that Japanese horror tends to get a little over the top. Um, you know, you think about House and um, the, the Happiness of the Karakuris, I think was the name of that one. So, I mean, you think of weird out there movies like that. And this one maybe isn't quite as weird, but it definitely takes a couple of left turns throughout the story. Uh, and that movie is called Wild Zero. It is the story of a rock band called Guitar Wolf, who is in the middle of their tour when a zombie apocalypse breaks out. Um, I don't think it's it, it's probably not a spoiler to say that the zombie apocalypse started because of aliens, because that happens in like the first five minutes of the movie. Um, you don't see any actual physical aliens. All you see are their ships. So basically a bunch of alien ships come to Earth and just start wreaking havoc. And somehow uh, they started a zombie apocalypse. Uh, the dead start to rise. Um, and, you know, the standard Romero horror tropes are all there. Zombie tropes, you know, flesh eaters, slow moving, blah, blah, blah. But then they also incorporate elements of uh, music videos because there's two full performances from the band uh, Guitar Wolf. Um, and those of you who don't know Guitar Wolf, uh, the members of the band are uh, the the lead singer and guitar player is called Guitar Wolf. The bass player is Bass Wolf. And three guesses what the drummer's name is. Yes, Drum, Drum Wolf. Drum Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and they are basically kind of a post-punk kind of rock band. Um, most people would probably just lump them into punk rock. Um, even though the lead singer is constantly throughout the movie screaming rock and roll all through the movie. Basically, anytime he's about to engage with a, a group of zombies, um, you know, he, he just screams out rock and roll. And he's got a great set of weapons too. his guitar. Uh, the neck of the guitar actually pulls out to a samurai sword, a katana. He's actually got a katana in the neck of the of the guitar. He also has these guitar picks that light up and he throws them like ninja stars. And basically they just, uh, as soon as they hit a zombie, the zombies heads explode. You get a lot of exploding heads in this movie, a lot to the point where, um, if you bought this movie on DVD, it's unfortunately, it's only available on DVD and it is out of print. Um, there is, I did look it up earlier today. There is a copy on Amazon for $30, which isn't, a terrible price, but it is only for a DVD. Anyway, if you were lucky enough to get that DVD, inside of the DVD was an actual, like a card 
that was a drinking game. They actually created the Wild Zero drinking game, and it was basically um, anytime Guitar Wolf yells out rock and roll, take a shot. Anytime a zombie's head explodes, take a shot. Anytime anyone in the movie fixes their hair, because the members of Guitar Wolf, like I said, they look very rockabilly with the slick back hairdo, and they are constantly combing their hair. Like, almost, like if they're not playing music, they're combing their hair. Um, and then I forget what the fourth criteria was, but, but basically no human on the planet could get through this movie with this drinking game. Um, they, you would literally be doing a shot every like five minutes and the movie is an hour and 40 minutes long. So yeah, um, it's a tough one, but I, I just thought it was so, uh, entertaining that they came up with their own drinking game and actually packed the rules in the DVD set if you bought it. So yeah, hopefully this will get a Blu-ray release sooner than later, um, there's a lot of other cool stuff about the movie that would kind of fall into spoiler territory. I know it's a 1999 movie, but I would still venture to guess most people hearing my voice right now probably haven't seen it because it is kind of an obscure Japanese horror comedy. Um, like I said, with multiple uh, musical performances throughout. So if you're not a fan of like rockabilly or punk, um, it may not be the movie for you because you do have to sit through a couple of musical performances. Apparently, there is a version of this movie available online that has all the musical performances edited out. So if you could find that, it's probably on YouTube. Uh, that would make the movie probably like an hour and 20 minutes long as opposed to the hour and 40 runtime that I watched. But yeah, Wild Zero, man. Uh, Wild is the perfect adjective for this one because it is very, very out there. I didn't even talk about half of the craziness that occurs in this movie. But yeah, check it out. Wild Zero, Japanese alien slash zombie movie. Oh, <laughs> How's the gore? Oh, the gore is great. I mean, it's not like quite Tom Savini, like Day of the Dead type gore with like a lot of blood and guts hanging around. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when the zombies heads explodes, most of them are CG, unfortunately, but they still look pretty decent. And even the ones that don't look good, it's a good laugh. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's a movie that doesn't pretend to be more than what it is. It knows that it's a campy zombie movie. It is a horror comedy. It's solidly a horror comedy. Um, we've, we we get some characters in it that are literally in the movie uh, solely for comedy and, you know, and, and it works for the most part. And then the last thing I'm going to say about this movie is that for a absolutely, you know, insane, over the top Japanese zombie movie, there's actually a great message about love and tolerance in this movie. All I'll say is the crying game and I'll move on. <laughs> but yes high recommend on this one if you're like me and you like these guilty pleasure type low budget splatter fests you know especially from japan and we all know how crazy japanese zombie movies can get with stuff like um mutant girl squad and stacy and and you know tokyo gore police blah 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 um you know kind of what you're in for so definitely check out wild zero um, I watched it on YouTube. The full version is available. It's not the greatest transfer, but there's never been a Blu-ray of this movie either. Uh, the best we've ever gotten was a DVD release, which is now out of print. So check it out on YouTube. Wild Zero. All right. <laughs> that sounds crazy. Oh, it's insane. I had such a good time with it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go with another insane movie. And I'm not really sure 
what the heck I saw. Um, This has actually been getting a lot of really good reviews. Uh, It's a movie from 2016 that's just being released um, wide. It's called She's Allergic to Cats. Did you see this one yet? No. Did you see it, Vin? No. Holy crap. I uh, I know um uh the guys on uh was oh my gosh, my brain, my brain. Uh Justin Patrick and them, you know. Oh, uh, 22 shots. 22 shots. I'm not sure if it was on their show or one of JP's um uh side shows. They reviewed this, but um Holy crap, this is weird. This is like low budget. Uh, it, it, I'm, I'll just read the, the synopsis here. Michael Pinkney is a dog groomer living in a rat infested Hollywood dive with dreams of uh, a bigger creative life. His current ambition is to raise funding for an all cat remake of Carrie. <laughs> and, dude, he's got like pictures of like cats with wigs and it's, it's weird. Um, uh, at time at home, he makes what he refers to as weird video art that nobody wants to watch. One day on the job, he meets Cora, the girl of his dreams. When you're cutting their nails, it's supposed to, is it supposed to bleed that much? She asked as she stares at, as he stares at her lovingly, easily distracted, creative, creatively in knots. And now in some sort of love, Michael's about to embark on a whole new dangerous trip. Let me just tell you, I don't know what I watched. <laughs> I don't know what I watched. I mean, it's this weird loner guy who who has these ambitions, but he lives in a in a crap hole or whatever, and he's a dog groomer, and he's just so weird. And then he meets somebody who's like almost weirder, and they kind of have like a, an affair or a love thing. And 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 this movie has got so much like weird imagery like spliced into it. Like, I don't know what it means, like close-ups of stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm, I, I understand art house, but when you just can't understand what's going on, um, it's like hallucinatory, uh, really, uh, that, that sort of thing, uh, just strange it, it's a trip. I mean, I think if people wanted to, you know, drop acid and watch this, they might really think it was great. But it almost like it almost reminded me of like the Greasy Strangler, but the Greasy Strangler was much like higher budget. And uh, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I, mm. I, I got through this movie because I don't usually give up on movies. But it just was, <laughs> it just wasn't for me. But I'm, uh, dude. Rotten Tomatoes. There's tons of like people that are like, like Dread Central gave this a four out of five, and you know all these people are saying it's it's great, and I'm like I didn't I didn't get it I didn't get it. So please somebody watch this, and and tell me what you think. Maybe maybe I need to give it another go. But I I didn't get it. <laughs> the so mere fact that you brought up the greasy strangler i'm i'm already sold i'm i'm gonna try to find it and check it out because you know that what? was one of my favorite movies of but that i don't year. even know if that's even a good comparison i'm saying that because i don't have a comparison for this 
Gotcha. All right. I really don't. I don't have a comparison. Uh, it's it's really. I'll say this. It's a unique movie. Unique <laughs> movie. So that's all I got to say. If you like weird stuff that that doesn't even really make any sense, watch it. She's allergic to cats. All right, Vin, what you got? <laughs> well, I guess something that's tame compared to whatever you were just talking about. Um, I know you've already seen this, Jerry. I'm sure you've seen it too. But uh, porno. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, finally caught up with this one. Um, I agree that it's not really the best name for it. Um, it's not really indicative of really what the movie is at all. Um, but you know, what you have here is, uh, it's a movie theater in the early nineties, um, run by basically these kind of devout conservative Christians. Um, and they, they're given the freedom basically to choose a movie that they can watch at night after all the patrons are kicked out and they find this hidden theater, uh, that was locked away uh, with a bunch of canisters and they decide to play the film. And it's basically like a seventies erotic art film almost. Um, you know, it's not a porno. Um, there's nudity and everything, but it's not, not a porno. Um, but it contains a succubus that is then released onto the theater and tries to basically tempt them all and, you know, into their, uh, whatever, whatever their vice is, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to bring about their downfall. And I mean, it's, it's, it actually is better than it has any right to be. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, the characters, they start off as uh, stereotypes or maybe I would say like they're more caricatures, but they actually do develop a bit of depth. And they have story arcs as the film progresses. Um, the straight edge guy actually reminded me of some people I knew in high school. Uh, some people who did not follow that lifestyle very long, <laughs> but were just as proselytizing when they did. Uh, um, you know, you so there's a kind of a theme of hypocrisy going throughout all of this. Uh, there's good sight gags, uh, especially with a certain tourniquet attempt. Um, <laughs> You know, it's <laughs> so disgusting, <laughs> but, but really funny. And especially what the conversation that happens right before it happens is really good. Yeah. Um, I didn't find it funny. I was like, that is disgusting. I'm like, I was I laughing even... pretty hard by myself on my couch. So, oh, gosh. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it takes place in nineties and it also kind of feels like a throwback. Um, my, you know, we have Disney plus and my son, we, we were like putting something on while I was cooking or something. I put on, um, a movie, a Disney from the late nineties called like Phantom of the Multiplex or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's a bunch of kids who are working inside a movie theater and they're trying to solve a mystery. And I'm like, wow, this, I was getting like flashbacks of that Disney film while I'm watching this. So uh-huh. that might also make it be feel more like it was kind of a nineties thing. Um, that might be a completely subjective thing. But, um, yeah, this was just kind of a fun, bonkers film that didn't take itself too seriously, but, you know, took itself seriously enough to not make a crap movie. Um, yeah. And I appreciated yep. that. But, yeah, this was solid. It was a, a good a good kind of horror comedy. It's my top ten of the year so far. Um, I enjoyed it. I liked it. It's definitely not in my top ten. Um, we did back-to-back episodes on Fresh Cuts where we looked at We Summon the Darkness and then Porno just a couple of days later. 
I will say that I enjoyed porno much more than We Summon the Darkness. Oh, we yeah. Summon the Darkness to me felt like a wasted opportunity with that third act. Um, what they were setting up with the first two acts just did not flourish the way most horror fans would want it to in the third act. Yeah, exactly. No payoff. Too safe and predictable. (laughs) Very predictable. Incredibly. Um, Porno worked for me a lot more. The ending was a little bit more satisfying, though it did kind of feel abrupt. Like this, this succubus that, you know, has been marauding people kind of, I don't know, the eventual end of the movie just, I thought, was a little underwhelming. Funny, though. Very funny, considering what's actually going on during yeah. that final scene. But um, I love the characters. I, you know, I'm, I usually completely distance myself from overly Christian people, like some of the portrayals in this movie. But all the people in this movie did come off as moderately likable even like the 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 projectionist who was like the major bible thumper of the movie he grows even on he, you. yeah exactly <laughs> what they call him heavy metal something heavy metal jeff or something like that yeah right? heavy or... metal jeff even though yeah. he doesn't listen to heavy metal it's hardcore <laughs> 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 it's straight edge, damn it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the movie definitely has some le- legit comedy, some legitimate charm. Um, I thought, it, you know, the ending was very satisfying. I thought, you know, there's not a whole lot of effects, but of course, you know, the tourniquet scene, the famous tourniquet scene that'll go down in history. Um, it's definitely very cringeworthy, uh, especially if you were born with a penis. Um, and that looks real a- enough. Yeah, it looked incredibly <laughs> real. Oh, God, painful. It wasn't even the um, penis. It was the balls that I was like. Right, don't give too much away. Damn, guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, people no, experience I mean, this. <laughs> no, yeah, they really they really do, yeah. And then, you know, it, it takes a weird turn during the third act with kind of interdimensional stuff kind of happening, blah, blah, blah. But it comes together at the end nicely. Um, like I said, it's I like, I like how they went that 10. extra step with it, you know, Absolutely, <laughs> it's no, like, what definitely. the hell? Why not? Yep. <laughs> but yeah, very enjoyable. Had a really good time with it. Definitely something I'll revisit at the end of the year. Uh, though I seriously doubt because it's currently not in my top 10. So I can't imagine it's going to end up there at the end of the year, but a very enjoyable movie fun. Definitely the kind of, uh, get some friends together and, you know, drink a few beers and have some fun with this movie. It's, uh, and, and the succubus isn't bad to look at either. So that, that always helps. Not at all. (laughs) Yep. All right. Vin, uh, Vin, uh, Jerry, you're back up. All right. Well, uh, again, I'm going to talk about a, a slightly older movie, not nearly as old as wild zero, but this one I wanted to bring up because, I had famously on this very show said that I was not a fan of this movie. And in recent weeks, I reviewed it on one of my other shows and I have done a complete 180 on it. I legitimately love this film now. Um, If people know me, they know what my favorite horror franchise is. And I know a lot of people were shocked when I gave uh, the remake of this franchise, uh, kind of a, not quite a negative review, but a lukewarm one, I would say. 
And of course, anybody who knows me knows my favorite franchise is our hockey mask killer, Mr. Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th. And that is what I'm talking about. 2009's Friday the 13th remake. Um, Great, great movie. I've only seen the movie before this past month. I had only seen the movie once, and that was opening night, February 13th, 2009. I remember because it was the day before Valentine's Day. Um but yeah, I just remember I, I I I never hated the movie. I never disliked the movie. I just thought it was eh, okay. I I thought it was very average, middle of the road. I didn't think it added anything to the Jason mythology. I thought the opening sequence was rushed, especially for people who have never seen a Friday the Thirteenth movie before, and they go into this with no knowledge of Jason or or um, Pamela or Alice or anybody from the past. Just a totally fresh set of horror eyes. I thought that the opening went by a little bit too quick and didn't really give Jason that emotional attachment that a lot of us have developed over the last you know thirty forty years. Mm-hmm. But man, let me tell you, on this watch, I fell in love with this movie. The opening scene, which, by the way, has got to be one of the longest cold opens in horror history. I mean, it's like 20 yep. to 25 minutes long uh, before you even get the title card. So um, the, open, the the very first, like the preamble that I was talking about was, of course, where they show, you know, Pamela Voorhees getting killed by Alice on the beach. I just remember watching it in the theater and thinking they glossed over that too much. I mean, part of the emotional attachment with Jason was the fact that he loved his mother so much because his mother was his only champion, his only friend, the only person who went to bat for him. Um, And I felt like we needed that full original Friday the 13th movie to really get that emotional attachment to Jason. Yes, he's a mama's boy, but whatever. A lot of us are mama's boys. So, um, you know, we tend to gravitate towards characters like that. Um, But on this watch, I was a little bit more open minded with the opening. um, And I actually did speak to someone who had never seen a Friday the 13th movie before the remake. And they explained to me that they didn't have any problem whatsoever understanding what was going on. Obviously, uh, for those who have seen it, they do kind of change the timeline a little bit because, um, you know, in the original timeline, the original Friday the 13th movies, Jason would have been 33 years old in 1980, which is why the jump scare at the end of the original Friday the 13th is very obviously a dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this one, they actually show young Jason walk away with his mother's head. So it does seem like they changed the timeline a little bit. No big deal. Um, they definitely made Jason more of a survivalist in this one, which like I said, didn't really do a whole lot for me back in 2009, but I loved it on this watch because I realized that showing all the behind the scenes stuff with Jason explains 10 years of Jason always popping up in front of his victims when they're Mm -hmm. trying to run away. And it seems like Jason's not running, but somehow he's always ahead of them. I always chalked it up as, oh, he just knows these woods. These are his woods. He's going to know those woods better than any city slicker that comes out here to go camping. Mm -hmm. But with the explanation of the tunnel system underneath Crystal Lake and his house, I just thought, I, I, I almost stood up and applauded in my living room. It worked so much for me this time. Now, the kills. Wow. Um, I will say that I did watch the killer cut, which is probably what most people are watching nowadays. So 
I don't remember these kills being nearly as brutal as they were, but my God, there are probably a good four or five kills in this movie that just show Jason to be just a brutal psychopath. And I love that. Sleeping Um, bag burn. Oh, the sleeping bag burn. The the bear trap slash machete buried. Mind you, when he... When he hit that kid with the machete, it's not like the machete went in like an inch. It went halfway through his freaking head. I, yep. was, I, I, I let out an audible laugh as I'm watching it this time. Um, obviously, the kill under the pier is an iconic one that even yep. surprised me. I had forgotten about it. Yep. So on my recent rewatch, I, you know, I, I, it actually got me. So I, or, I was or Willa Ford. Exactly. Yep. And then, of course, you know, when the douchey character gets his in the killer cut, it's almost a full minute long of Jason just lifting this machete through his entire body. I absolutely loved it. You know, whereas in the theatrical version, Jason just stabs him once real quick with the machete and then throws him on the back of the uh, the tow truck. You know, yeah. basically impales him on that thing on the back of the tow truck, whereas this time... They took their sweet time and the whole scene was restored and it just brought up my opinion of this movie. I mean, the black guy's death where everybody's watching. Yes. Oh my God. That was so Asian, the Asian guy out in the shit. I mean, dude, (laughs) it's a great movie. It really is. Yeah. Like I said, I've done a complete 180. I love this movie now. It literally vaulted three or four spots in my rankings of Friday the 13th movies, not to say that it was ever at the bottom, but it literally has vaulted like a couple of the original six, which I hold in very high regard. So yeah, this movie, um, yeah. Um, Dave Z from the exploding heads horror movie uh, podcast said it best. Second watches are very important. I wish I would have given this movie a second watch sooner, but like I said, all I had was that memory from back in 09 thinking, eh, the movie was just okay. Like, it wasn't anything that drew me back into it that I had to see it right away. I mean, in fact, I've owned I've owned that three-pack Blu-ray from New Line, you know, the one that has Friday the 13th remake, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street remake, and Freddy vs. Jason on it. I only bought that for Freddy vs. Jason, and I never watched the, the Friday the 13th remake again, figuring hey, I'm not going to like it, but man, I am so happy. I gave it another shot. It's, um, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's one of the best horror remakes ever, but I will say it's probably one of the more enjoyable slasher remakes. I mean, it blows away Rob Zombie's Halloween movies. That's for oh, damn gosh. sure. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to point that out on the round table because, um, like I said, a lot of people were shocked at my lukewarm review of the remake of my favorite franchise of all time. And uh, I just wanted to put that out there in the ether now that, yes, complete 180. I freaking love this movie now. It's uh, the pacing. It's almost breakneck pacing. Because like I said, Mm -hmm. that, that cold open is like 20, 25 minutes long. And then it goes into the actual part of the movie. And it, it, once again, it jumps right into it. Uh, just quick character development. Not a whole lot of time wasted on setting up characters. 
um, really quick backstories and then right into Jason's, you know, brutal insanity. So, yeah, if you haven't watched this movie since it was released and you were kind of lukewarm on it or even if you just flat out didn't like it, I strongly recommend a rewatch on this one. It is aged so well. I mean, granted, it's only 11 years old. But it is aged so well, and it's so fun. I mean, this is this is now going to turn into an annual view for me. I just I, I can't get over. I've never done a 180 like this in my life, and um, I'm just I'm very happy that I can say I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong on my original opinion of this movie. This movie is great. Check it out if you haven't. Very good. Glad to hear that. Yeah, that, yeah. it's it's uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely up there for me. All right. Well, I'm going to do an older movie real quick. Um, uh, Our Hammer Horror series has really got me, um, you know, wanting more Hammer and and not even just like a lot of the gothic stuff. Remember uh, Scream of Fear, Taste of Fear that we talked about. I was I was searching for more like black and white, um, you know, psychological type horror for Hammer. And I found a couple of movies, and this is the first one I watched, and it's called uh, Nightmare. Has anybody seen this? I'd have to hear a description because I've probably seen yeah, four or five movies called Nightmare. <laughs> well, it's it's written um, uh, by Jimmy Sangster, this is you know famous Hammer writer, uh, directed by Freddie Francis, and basically what you have is this girl named Janet who is at a, a finishing school, and she starts to have these nightmares. Uh, where she um, is called, she keeps hearing her mother's voice, and her mother, we we learn, is in an insane asylum because she had killed uh, her father in front of her when she was 11, on her 11th birthday. And basically, she she's disturbing everybody else at the, the, the school because of these nightmares, and they think that it's best if she gets sent home. So she goes home, and her guardian is like this this guy uh, named Henry Baxter, who's not there, uh, but he he knows that she's coming, and she's he's got this nurse to take care of her, and there are all these servants, and her nightmares continue. But then there's a lot of psychological horror going on. Is she really, uh, seeing her mom what's going on? Um, and there's other, it's very Hitchcockian. I will say that. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. It's not as good as taste of fear. Uh, but it's got that, um, uh, it's got that psychological horror to it where you're not sure what's really going on. Is she really, uh, seeing something. Is it like a ghost? Is she crazy? Still uh, a real psycho the, influence. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say psycho. There's no like slasher in it. Um, oh, there is a stabbing, but there's, it's more of like, you, is this person crazy or is what she going through real? Mm. And then there's a twist at the end. You know, there's somebody who's got some nefarious, you know, um, uh, I don't mean I don't even know what I'm trying to say. And some nefarious uh, uh, plans for this girl, and it's just got a you know a very Hitchcockian uh, twist to it. And I, you know, I, I also watched Rear Window not too long ago, so I've, I've been kind of on this, uh, you know, 1960s, um, 1950s, 1960s uh, kind of psychological thriller horror type 
thing. And, and there's another one that I'm getting ready to watch. Um, I forget what it was called. It's, it's, it's a, a hammer movie. It's black and white and it is, uh, got Oliver Reed in it and it's called paranoic. Have you heard that? I've heard of it. Oh yeah. That's, that's another hammer black and white kind of psychological horror thriller. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll probably by the next round table, I'll have that, but I recommend this one, uh, pretty highly. So it's called nightmare. It's 1964. Yes. Yep. So there you go. Vin, <laughs> let's, let's do, uh, let's do two more. And then, uh, and then at the end we'll do any pile of crap. If you have any crap that, that is not really worth talking about too much, but yeah, I mean, I'll talk about two at once kind of here. I, yeah. uh, I, Went to watch Puka Lives, and I figured I should probably watch the first Puka first. Um, and uh, I wasn't really crazy about the first Puka, I gotta say. Wow. Um, like, uh, why well, you like that one, Jerry? I'm I'm backwards. I love the first one. I think the second one's subpar. Oh uh, no, I, I I would reverse that honestly. Um, yeah, I think that the first film it 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 took itself too seriously for a story revolving around a plush toy. Um, you yeah, know, but it, it's... it also, I mean, you could say the same thing about Donnie Darko. Not that it's a plush toy, but it's a guy yeah. in a rabbit suit, but it's kind of the same thing. Kind of. Yeah. Kinda. Well, that's kind of the other thing is that it, it, that one decided to go kind of a, for me, a tired psychological route that we've seen many times before. Um, and this wasn't one of the better ones for me at all. So, um, I wasn't crazy about Puka. The first one. And I think, you know, I'm obviously reversing what Jerry thinks about this whole thing, but Puka Lives for me kind of embraced the camp and lunacy of what a movie called Puka (laughs) kind of demands. Um, And, you know, really I'm going to talk about Puka Lives. I mean, that's the one where, uh, you know, it it is kind of part like horror comedy. Um, We have a group of friends who are in their 30s um, and they get together and as kind of a revenge plot against one of the one of their members who's been uh, kind of beset by um, kind of an internet troll um, through social media and um, social influencing, uh, they decide to kind of create this uh, myth around Puka that they release on the internet. But the myth essentially ends up coming true um, because the and the more people write about it and change the story, the Puka, it's almost like a demon at that point, uh, starts changing as well and morphing. And they have to figure out a way to stop it. And this is a movie that, you know, it it doesn't take itself too seriously. But it also, I don't think, skimps on the horror and drama when it counts. Um, This is from the director of Juan of the Dead. Um, So it's got a real fun sense about it. Uh, It's it's not like top ten for me or anything like that. Um, But I did enjoy it. Um, It definitely kind of hit my my nerdy spot. Um, Which, and I have a big one. But <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I, I didn't I was bored with Puka, but uh, Puka lives kind of put that little invigoration in me that I was actually looking for. Again, when I look at something like Puka, that's it, it actually gave me kind of what what I was expecting. Yeah, I think that's why I am reversed on my opinion is because it gave us what we were expecting. I love 
that the first one, especially when you just look at the poster and read a synopsis, it almost seems like it's going to go down the path that the sequel goes down. But the fact that they actually went for a more psychological route and the and on top of the fact that for those who don't know, I'm a big Charles Dickens fan. Uh, Christmas Carol is one of my favorite stories. And if you're really paying attention, the first Puka film is a Christmas Carol allegory. Um, the only difference is rather than getting three ghosts, he only gets the ghost of Christmas past. Um, but basically Puka being the ghost of Christmas past does his job so the other the the next two ghosts aren't really necessary uh you know the the main protagonist has learned his lesson after seeing the images of you know events past i just i for whatever reason i thought the psychological factor of the first one worked a little bit more for me i thought there was more of a mystery like is the suit alive is the guy insane um once we get the revelation of who the people in the apartment building are um, you know, why he keeps hearing that one line, um, you know, throughout the movie repeated in his head. Um, I just thought that final sequence w just worked for me. It, it was just that big aha moment of, oh, okay, I get it. Christmas Carol. Cool. Love it. Um, and then going into Puka Lives, I don't know what I was expecting. I honestly didn't think they were going to do the exact same thing because why bother? You've already done it once. Uh, and plus, you know, it's a whole new cast. It's not the, you know, there were no returning uh, actors from the first movie. So I kind of figured, okay, they're going to try to do something different. And they did. They went for the more straightforward uh, killer doll movie. Um, or, well, starting as a killer doll. And then, like Vin said, it constantly would morph into new iterations because of uh, people on the internet adding to the base, basically a creepypasta. They created a creepypasta yeah. that ended up becoming true. Um, and then the more people that wrote about it, it basically changed the way Puka looked, the way he acted, the weapons that he used. Um, even at one point you had a, a later Hosen Puka who I thought was adorable, yeah. <laughs> even though he was doing something awful in the kitchen. Yeah. I still thought it looked kind of cute. Um, you know, for a six foot, you know, crazy doll chasing you, but still, um, I didn't hate Puka lives by any stretch. I, I agree with Vin. It's a fun movie. It's a very fun movie. It's got some great kills, um, some decent performances. Um, once again, we get a protagonist that I'm not completely behind, um, just because of, you know, some of the things that he does and says throughout the movie. And even the mm -hmm. fact that he comes up with the idea for this creepy pasta. Obviously, his friends sitting around him add ideas to the mythology of it. But, you know, it, it's still there's there's a nefarious uh, reason behind him creating this creepy pasta. It's not just entertain. So um, once again, there's, you know, the whole empathy factor with me. I like to feel something for my characters, especially my main protagonists. I want them to be someone that I can get behind. Um, and ultimately, this guy isn't necessarily a bad guy. He's just confused. He made a mistake in his writing years before, which obviously has now gotten him that reputation. Um, that's getting him those Internet trolls bothering him. Um, I thought some of the kills were cool. I thought the comic book style end, uh, end scene worked really well for me. Um, overall, I enjoyed the story. Uh, the opening scene was great, too, when they actually showed the creator of Puka. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that scene was awesome, actually. Sets the tone. Um, yeah, it definitely sets the tone for the movie. That's the thing. Five minutes into the movie, you know you're not getting Puka, too. 
This is a right. totally different movie. Right. And, the and the I first movie works that. pretty well on paper. Um, I didn't really, I was bored with the execution of the first one. Um, this one just, it didn't leave me bored. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, this one's very action packed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of set pieces, horror set pieces that are really fun to watch, gory. Um, you know, a lot of bad people kind of getting their comeuppance and, you know, who, who doesn't want to get behind that? I, I guess, like I said, I'm I'm definitely more a fan of the slow burn kind of psychological thing, especially because that movie had me kind of guessing uh, the fir- uh, Puka, the first movie. It had me guessing throughout the entire run time of the movie what was actually going on. But then when we get that final set piece at the end and the revelation of who everyone is and what actually happened. I fell in love with the movie. I thought, wow, like I looked at, like I actually watched it again the very next day and ended up liking it even more after knowing how it's going to end, where the path was taking me. So um, nothing against Puka Lives by any stretch. It's a very fun movie, very much worth watching. One of the better Into the Dark chapters out there because I on, on Fresh Cuts, we tend to review a lot of the Into the Dark um entries especially now with cinemas being closed you know it's it's a reliable source of horror at least once a month so um we do review a lot of those and um like i said i don't want to take anything away from puka lives this is another situation where i can see more people in the community um kind of gravitating towards puka lives as a as opposed to puka but I guess, like I said, in my old age, I tend to start liking a lot more slow burn psychological things, especially when they're an allegory to one of my favorite novels of all time, too. So that helps a lot. But yeah, Puka right. Lives is great. Check it out. Puka Lives. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're with... Vin, did you have another one? Um, I could throw out one more that I saw recently because that was kind of a twofer uh but i think you talked about this one captured did you mention this on a past roundtable um i think the one with the the rocker chick yeah i think you might have liked it more than i did yeah Uh, i I remember yeah i really didn't like this one um yeah it's you know you obviously you had already spoken about this one but you got this you know a rock band um this is a found footage film uh and they're going to the lead singers um family farm um, where something traumatic had happened and they don't really reveal what it is till the end, but they're going there to film a music video um, because the song that they're doing is kind of about what happened at the barn or that, that farm, whatever it is. Um, and I don't know, not much at all worked for me in this. Um, I, the plot got pretty predictable. Um, there was some pretty questionable acting. Uh, I, they couldn't convince me that these actors could even play an instrument. Um, they, they never really felt like a real band. Uh, I don't know. It's, I, I didn't like most of the actors, um, in this and the storyline, you know, the the guy out in the, the, I guess he's like a caretaker or something like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who's living next to the barn where there's like no insulation. I'm not sure exactly where they're supposed to be. Um, but anyway, they, and they keep on building to how amazing the song is. And, uh, it's just, it's just like a, pop rock song you know um even though they look like some kind of industrial band um <laughs> I, can't believe, I can't believe how hard you are on this movie but uh, like, puka I, I, lives. I was frustrated with this man <laughs> so no because puka lives tries to be fun and it succeeds 
Um, I, I take I take a movie what it's trying to do, you know, and I, I will judge it on that. And this was trying to be a good found footage film, and it was not working. It wasn't it wasn't working at all for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm gonna take a film as it comes to me. Um, but no, I I did not enjoy this film. Okay, all right. <laughs> did you watch it on my recommendation? Uh, it was already in a queue. Okay, and I decided, hey, Mark said he liked it. <laughs> hey, it was it was it's free on Prime, I believe. Uh, yeah, and it's it's not bad. It's not bad. I enjoyed it, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> All right, Mr. Venom. All right, the last um, of the good recommendations that I have um, for tonight uh, is an Irish film. Came out in April of this year it is a 2020 film came out with next to no fanfare very few people in the community talking about it though i'm sure mark has seen it and i'm sure it's probably been discussed on a previous round table let me guess do it the perished nope (laughs) irish okay i'm trying to think okay let me look it is irish right it's not scottish tell me i'm not wrong no ireland yeah i'm right Anyway, um, this is a movie that I feel some is probably very underseen. It's actually a movie that I reviewed for Jason Lloyd's Bloody Bits podcast, so I did a short spoiler-free review on it, much like I'll do here. That movie is called Sea Fever. This oh, this yeah. movie. Oh yeah, I love this movie. I absolutely love this movie. This um, earlier this year, uh, there was a movie that came out in January called Underwater, starring Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there were a lot of people that were comparing that movie to Alien. Um, I kind of saw it at the time, as far as I, I saw the comparison to Alien. But after seeing Sea Fever, no, this is the Alien movie. This is the confinement movie, the isolated location where you there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Much, I mean, obviously because they're at the bottom of the ocean and underwater, the stakes are still very high. But Mm -hmm. the fact that they travel from facility to facility in that movie while walking on the bottom of the ocean, I just didn't get the isolation feeling that I got from Sea Fever. This movie is about a small uh, group of fishermen. Uh, They are on their fishing vessel about to go out on the west coast of Ireland. Um, they, they end up getting marooned at sea. They're in a part of the ocean that they're not supposed to be in. Um, the captain obviously takes the executive decision because he also gets a sonar blip of a, a lot of fish in the area and they need a big catch, uh, for whatever reason. So, like I said, he goes into this restricted zone, the boat ends up getting marooned and the, basically the boat and all the people on it start being slowly attacked by a parasite like creature or creatures. And, um, this movie worked for me on every level. I thought the performances were spectacular. Um, Connie Nielsen, Hermione Corfeld and Doug Ray Scott are, are the three main actors, uh, specifically Hermione Corfield, who plays our main protagonist, mm-hmm. our little redhead. I think, uh, Siobhan is her name in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, just great performance I mean I felt for every single person on this boat 
Um, once again, it takes a foreign horror movie to give me a film with a cast of likable characters. You know, you don't get the, the, the cabin in the woods horror hierarchy that, you know, we usually get out of American movies, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the jerk, the slut, the stoner, blah, 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 blah. Everybody in this movie, even the asshole captain who got them into this situation, they're all likable in one way or another. Um, like I said, slowly these people start succumbing to this parasite that's gotten onto the ship. Um, the movie is very subtle. It is a very slow movie, um, especially for the first two acts. Well, I would say for the first act, because by the second act, they're already, they already have a kind of a solid idea of what they're dealing with. Um, Mm. obviously because of uh, Shaban, she actually is a scientist from the local university, um, who is, uh, just tagging along with these fishermen and women to uh, take some water samples and, you know, do whatever scientific thing she has to do. But obviously in their journey, they run into this very, you know, large menacing creature. One of the major things I love about this movie is that all the shots of the actual creature are very subtle. You don't get any full on shots of it. Um, And you don't need it in this movie. This Mm -hmm. movie is solidly about the human relationships and how they're dealing with this antagonistic force. It's not about the monster and it's not about the kills. And movies like that are few and far between, um, especially in American horror. Obviously, this is an Irish film. Um, It is in English, so no subtitles needed. But um, I don't believe it's currently available on any streaming services. It is available on Prime Video for a $3.99 rental, and I think it's worth every penny. If you are a fan of slow burn horror, underwater horror, and isolated horror, this is the movie for you. This movie is absolutely solidly in my top 10 for the year, and it's really not even because of the creature effects or monster, which are still fairly impressive looking for a low-budget movie. Um, But it's really about these relationships and just the way that they interact with each other, the way that they handle certain situations, even little Shaban late in the movie kind of making an executive decision on her on her own. That's very unpopular with the rest of the crew. I loved every minute of this movie. Uh, The kills, you know, they may not be particularly gory or um, special effects laden. But they're still very effective. And like I said, because you feel for all the people on this boat, um, their deaths actually mean something. And once again, empathy in modern horror is an emotion that's lacking. So whenever I find a movie like this that actually makes me feel something um, to the point where I'm, you know, almost in tears because of one particular death, it works for me. And, you know, I've, you know. You mean the death at the end? um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah anyway um it's uh like i said when you get a horror movie that's really more character driven than story driven or creature driven it's just such a treat for me i mean th- the fact that i can watch an hour and 35 minute long movie that really only has about five minutes of monster in it maybe less and it's still effective. I was, you know, I, I hate using cliches, but edge of your seat actually works in this instance. I was literally on the edge of the couch in the third act, like, oh boy, oh, here we go. 
And just, yeah, I can't say enough good things about this movie. Everything worked for me. Beautiful underwater cinematography. Um, really nice creature effects. What little we actually see of it. Um, the set design of the interior of the boat looked great, especially the, uh, the, the engine area, the, the under, I, I don't know what they call the underneath part of a boat. I am not a seaman, but, um, Oh, the set design, like I said, all looks great. The boat looks awesome. And if anybody watches this movie and enjoys it as much as I do, um, I would suggest researching the name of the boat. I can't think of the name of the boat off the top of my head, but watch it, grab the name of that boat and go to Wikipedia and do some research. It's going to, it's going to open up a nice little rabbit hole of Irish mythology and folklore that, I didn't expect at all. So yeah, sea fever, very, very high recommendation from me. Check it out as soon as you can. Yeah. I recommended that a few shows ago. Mm -hmm. I I don't feel anybody else that watched it, liked it as much as me. And I was like, (sighs) it's everything that I like in horror, you know? I mean, it's everything I want in a slow burn horror movie like this. And the thing is, is that we don't get a big action packed payoff at the end, but it doesn't matter. The movie is still so satisfying, so effective in what it's trying to do. It's an absolute triumph. I loved it. Did you see this one yet, Vin? Yeah, I watched it a couple weeks ago. It's pretty high on my list. Yep. Nice. Yep. I agree. I agree. I agree. It's not being uh, talked about you know, as much. So, all right. Um, I'm going to throw a couple out here. This is a movie, um, that is probably one of the goriest movies that I've seen in recent memory. Uh, so if you are a gore hound, this is one you need to watch. It's called little necro red. Mm. Uh, Have you guys heard of this? No. Heard of it. Yeah. Haven't seen it. Well, I mean, once upon a time, after many years without contact, Diane receives a phone call from her long-lost friend, Angela. Angela's daughter, Annie, a.k.a. Little Red, mysteriously disappeared years ago, but the police never found her body. Now, Angela's life is being plagued by inexplicable events. While Diane and Angela begin to shed light on the mystery, a masked maniac known as the Wolf is on the prowl. You get it? The Wolf. Little Nick Red, Little mm-hmm. Red. Uh, he's on the prowl, leaving a trail of blood and carnage in his wake. So as they delve further into this, their doubt starts to creep in. Is Annie still alive? Um, so it's kind of, it's got this religious cult thing going on. And the wolf is like uh, um, a serial killer, like a slasher almost, but he's sent by this religious cult. And, you know, this movie is low budget. This movie doesn't have great acting in it. Uh, it's it's got passable acting. Uh, the story is kind of disjointed and not necessarily easy to follow. But wow, it's gory. And I mean, we're talking about the practical, low budget, like roots type of gore. Like we're talking dead alive, gutter balls. Uh, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, do not watch this movie while you're eating. Um, I'm serious. (laughs) I'm serious, man. Oh yeah. You might be able to, but I'm just talking about like bodily fluids, limbs flying off, 
it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, uh, so I would definitely recommend this only for like the fun factor of the gore. Uh, th- this is not in any way, shape, or form as good a movie as say Gutter Balls or Dead Alive. Uh, but it's fun. It's a fun watch. And if you're a, a, a gore hound, you will really like this, and you'll probably want to put it in your collection. It's that. It's nice. that gory and gross. And then uh, here's here's one I wanted to. I'm not sure how to feel about this. This is a movie that I actually really enjoyed and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to because this has been done to death over the last couple years. This is a mo- uh, this is a movie, an Italian movie called You Die. And this is about an app on your phone. I mean, how many killer app movies have we gotten in the past <laughs> Too couple many. years? <laughs> okay. Uh, but it looks like an augmented reality game. As soon as you realize it's an app that connects you to the world of the dead and allows you to see dead through the camera of your phone on the screen, you see a countdown timer kind of similar to the, the movie countdown, uh, starts from 24 hours and before it reaches zero, you have to download the app to somebody else's phone to earn 24 more hours. Oh. And you have to do it every single day. Um, passing this curse on so what does that remind you of it follows well i guess the ring or it follows uh Ah. this movie uh is actually really good it's it's an italian made movie it looks great sounds great good acting uh good kills good creepy ghosts um but they even like uh, the the these people in this movie get together to watch a horror movie, and they they're looking through the the DVDs, and there's it follows on top. So <laughs> it is most definitely an inspiration. Um, I enjoyed it, but I feel like I shouldn't have enjoyed it because I've just seen so many app movies. We get the countdown. You had Bedeviled. You had you you had a bunch of these. And then the fact that it was like you had to pass it on, kind of ripping that from something like It Follows or The Ring. But I can't help it, man. I enjoyed the movie. I thought it, I thought it was done well. This is not going to uh, rewrite history. It doesn't do anything new. As a matter of fact, it just kind of uses retread plots. But I, I enjoyed it for some reason. So it's called You Die. And then the last thing I want to talk about it, because I know that uh, you, Vin, have heard this or you have seen this because I saw you on uh, Facebook talk about it. And it's not necessarily horror, but it's horror adjacent. Should be. And, and that's the new uh, <laughs> movie, Scoob. Right. Did, did you watch this one yet, uh, Mr. Venom? I have not. Okay. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge Scooby-Doo fan. Save your 20 bucks. Love, love <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Um, man, they really missed an opportunity here. I don't understand. They could have relaunched this and, and, uh, and they even, they put, they put it, um, to where there could be a, a sequel. And I think this movie's they, doing They're trying well. to create a Hanna-Barbera universe. Uh, yeah. Like they're trying to have a cinematic universe and it's like, you, you took your, your most well-known property and you did nothing with it, essentially. Like you didn't. It didn't feel like a Scoob movie, you know. It didn't feel like a Scooby no. movie at all. 
Um, there was one, uh, you know, internet reviewer or YouTube reviewer that put it pretty well. He's uh, so that it's he'd never seen a Scooby Doo movie that seemed so ashamed of what Scooby Doo yeah. was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> well, what it is is if you remember back in the seventies, uh, the original Scooby Doo, uh, Scooby Doo, where are you? Yeah. It they only made a couple seasons worth, like you know, two and they seasons. kept, yeah. yeah. And they kept re re, uh, uh, re showing those. And then finally they did this Scooby doo, like, was it it's dino mutt, right? Scrappy doo they had. And, but they had like the Scooby doo, like dino mutt hour where like half of it was Scooby doo. And then, then the other was like this dino mutt character. And what they yeah. did is, is they, they put this dino mutt in, in this superhero, the, the, what was it again? Blue Falcon. Falcon, Blue Falcon, yeah, in there, and it was almost like they were trying to do that, you know, the 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 gang teams up with, you know, and I was like, I don't want any of that. Well, I mean, they did those kinds of things in the seventies too, you know. Yeah, but I there mean, was they also did have a team cool mystery. Yeah, but know? I mean, yeah, the the core of Scooby Doo is about mystery, and it's it it's like you know they they basically live in like I, the best ones that I loved. You know, when I was a kid, I remember. If it was Scooby Doo, where are you? I loved it because it was like this gothic setting, you know. Um, and yeah, I think one of the things I said in my post, I'm like, yeah, it's a formulaic thing, right? They 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 capture the person, they take off the mask. It was old man whoever, you know, trying to st- yeah. scare people away from his treasure. Um, but for a kids show, that's perfectly fine, you know. I remember uh, Carl Sagan uh, in his The Demon Haunted World. Um, he talked about Scooby Doo. I think it was part of his. Uh, baloney detection kit <laughs> chapter um and basically you know he says that it was a show that taught kids that sometimes there's something behind the mystery you know sometimes there's a, a, a mundane reason for things um and i think it's a pretty good lesson for kids and one of the things that i did with my son by the time he was three he was watching scooby-doo with me scooby-doo where are you you know yeah. and he learned that monsters were people with masks on yeah. so at three years old he went around as a little leather face trick-or-treating you know, he scared the crap out of the people who opened up their doors, but he was unfazed by all the monsters and everything else that he saw. Yeah. Um, and he still is that way, you know. And then a couple of years ago, the family discovered Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, which is an awesome, awesome Scooby-Doo show. It yeah. is two seasons of, you know, Easter eggs and horror homages. I mean, the main villain is Udo Kier as a parrot. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Coombs plays HP Hatecraft. Um, you know, there is at one point, one of my favorite episodes, you know, it's just the, the sheriff opens a lament configuration <laughs> and you yeah. see like a portal open behind him and you hear, leather, you hear a, you know, pinhead before the camera cuts away. Um, you know, it, it is, it was such a, a love story to horror, to mystery, to the darker side of what Scooby-Doo, you know, kind of tapped into, but in a fun way, in a kid safe way. Um, and this movie had none of that. I mean, the gang isn't even together for most of the movie at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, you know, I said in my thing, it's, they trade gloom for neon, you know, they're not in a Gothic town. They're in Venice beach. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like Simon Cowell shows up. What the hell was that? Um, (laughs) and it looked awful. It looked like, it looked like animation from 20 years ago. Uh, you know, it's, I, they've got like jokes about Tinder and Netflix, and I'm like, this is going to age poorly now. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's already dated. Um, yeah. You know, I, I was I was really disappointed. 
uh, pretty big. And I'm a, like I said, you were just saying, I'm a lifelong Scooby fan too. Uh, we have a decal in our kitchen of Scooby Doo because we threw my son a Scooby Doo party like two years ago, and we tried taking the decal off; it was ripping off the drywall. <laughs> so yep. it's just a permanent fixture now in our kitchen. <laughs> a giant Scooby Doo uh, decal on the wall. Um, so yeah, it's you know th- th- this house breathes Scooby Doo. And uh, did your did your kids yeah. like it? Uh, I mean, while it was on, it was something blinking in their face and they kind of had fun with it. Um, yeah. They haven't asked to watch it again. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. the next time they go to watch Scooby-Doo, I'm pretty sure that they're going to want Mystery Inc. or Scooby-Doo, where are you? Yeah. Um, my, my kids liked it. Uh, and, and I just, I just, it just lost me. I think the beginning, the, the first 15, 20 minutes was pretty good. Uh, when they're kids and they kind of meet and they, fit, you know, they go it's into the, the only thing that's house. felt like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. <laughs> And then after that, I was like, "Yep, yeah, no thanks." So, very disappointing for those yeah. of us who who are who are Scooby Doo fans. So, all right. Um, anybody else have anything else they want to throw on the pile of crap? I mean, I've got some bad movies I've seen. Well, yeah. you don't you, you don't even have to like say anything <laughs> about it. You just have to throw it on the pile of crap. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Verotica. Oh is god awful i, I still want to see it i oh saw that gosh. movie last year at the la premiere glenn danzig was there who i am a fan of uh let me tell you my opinion of glenn danzig changed greatly after the end of that movie gosh, <laughs> man, what a- i snuck out of the theater because it was one of those movies where they wanted you to fill out a card you know to, to give them feedback and i i literally snuck out i'm like nope I'm not even going to take the time to tell them how much I hated this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'd say, please, please avoid it. I mean, it's just not worth your time. Uh, I'm, I'm the one's got to see everything, but this, this is just a waste of, of your time. Uh, Crispy's curse. Yeah. That's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, human zoo and the Jonestown haunting. Oh, geez. Yes. They all stink. Anybody <laughs> else with any any bad movies that are? Um, I've only got a couple. I'm not. I'm not watching nearly as much horror this year as I have in years past. So I'm probably not going to hit triple digits this year. But um, I've only so I've only got a couple of really bad ones. Uh, one is the obvious one that I'm sure many people have seen and hate by now, and that is of course Corona Zombies. Absolutely the worst thing I've watched this year. It's not even really an original film. Anybody who's seen it knows that three quarters, if not more, of the film is actually borrowed footage from, I believe, the 1980 film Hell of the Living Dead. Um, I can only assume that Full Moon Pictures must have gotten, must have bought the rights to the film because they use so much of it and they replace all the dialogue to make it basically a comedy, a goofy kind of meet the Spartan style comedy, um, which is awful to begin with. And then the few scenes of actual original footage are basically just this one blonde woman in her apartment by herself dealing with the lack of toilet paper and the boredom of being stuck at home. And uh, (laughs) it's one of the most painful experiences I've had potentially since muck. (laughs) <laughs> this this movie was awful. Um, and it's only 16 minutes long. And it still felt like it was three and a half hours. 
So yeah, there you go. Watch it. I mean, it is available for free on fullmoon.com, fullmoonpictures.com, I believe, if you have their streaming service so you can see it for free. But even at a 60-minute runtime, I couldn't recommend this to anybody. So yeah, don't bother. And then the only other thing I have that ranks below a five on my list for 2020 is a movie that's available for free on Amazon Prime. It's called Shed. It is not The Shed, mind Mm -hmm. you. There is a movie out there called The Shed, which is much better. It's just called Shed. Uh, It's all caps, so it's just S-H-E-D, all caps. Um, Very independent, just awful, awful movie. Bad acting, bad effects. Is that the one about the shape-shifting one, right? Or I think so. Skin stealing creature or something. Yeah, I saw that one. That was pretty rough. (laughs) Oh, it was. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It looks like it's shot on video. Like I said, you've got like high school quality acting in it, and and that might even be insulting some high school actors. They try and get Um, really philosophical with the script, which is kind of funny sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, those two movies are the only ones I got for the pile of poop for you. I mean, the the bad ones that I've seen that just just because they're funny, funny to talk about. Uh, I, I have not seen eight yet from South Africa, but I did see Tokoloshe and African curse. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man. Uh, you know, it's bad. if you want to see somebody copy Kubrick badly, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like community theater tried to redo the shining. It's very weird. Um, it's a, it's a pretty incoherent movie for the most part, but they're straight up ripping off the shining. Um, mm-hmm. But instead of like two twins in a hallway, it's just like two like you know what like middle aged women almost just like holding hands somewhere. It, it's nothing works in the film, nothing at all. <laughs> um, they, these are what I call like these are my laundry movies. These are the kind of things that I put on like when I have to fold <laughs> all the kids' laundry because it takes me forever because I have to like match like a three year old's like thousand pieces of clothing. Um, <laughs> so I just I just put these kinds of things on you know that I know I I can only give so much attention to. And the other one that cracked me up was uh, Scarecrow's Revenge. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you know, when I my undergraduate paper was on uh, King Harold II, Harold Godwinson. He was the last Anglo-Saxon king uh, before the Norman invasion. So I've I've read a lot about the Anglo-Saxons <laughs> and Vikings and everything else. And oh, my God, th- this was hilarious in that respect. Um, I knew when I saw a Viking in England harvesting corn, I was going to be in for something really special. Um, <laughs> and it's, they kept using the word Viking, like it would meant something. Um, and I kept hearing Inigo Montoya's voice in my head. You know, like you keep <laughs> using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. It was like, yeah, I watched my, my kids watch these like, you know, little cartoons about like ninjas and pirates. And there's always like, you know, like, you know, a pirate, you know, it was always a friend, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, ninjas never tell a lie, you know, you're like, wow, <laughs> um, that's wrong. Uh, but that's like what this kind of movie was. It's just, they kept throwing around words and with these hilarious medieval esque costumes. Um, anyway, if, as somebody who, who's, you know, I'm actually looking at a shelf just filled with medieval history books and half of them are Anglo-Saxon stuff. Um, so that was hilarious to me. Um, but yeah, those are two that are pretty, pretty much at the bottom of my list. Yeah, I got I got one more, guys. Uh, it was a documentary about a supposedly really haunted house, and they had all this uh, video footage of stuff. It's called the Demon house, house in 
Huh? No, 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 no. <laughs> that was last year. That was that Zach guy from. Yeah, that, that was also really low on my list that year. But yeah, <laughs> this one's called the House in Between. And uh, oh my gosh, it was so boring. Like nothing of consequence. They didn't have nothing on video except a I'm baseball, surprised. a baseball dropping down some stairs. And they 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 spent about forty five minutes on that dang baseball. And uh, yeah, please stay away from it. That's that's not good. So, all right. Well, that's gonna do it. Let's uh, let's give our plugs, uh, Mr. Venom. Where can people find you? All right. Um, you're actually gonna you're actually in for a much shorter list than you guys remember. I have uh, finally kind of been a little bit more meticulous on the shows that I do. So I stepped away from a couple of shows and uh, kind of concentrated my efforts on three or four of my favorites so as i mentioned earlier no more room in hell is probably my main show that i do with mike merriman and Derek b from cinema attack uh we just recorded an episode uh, a couple of nights ago where we looked at heavy metal horror uh we also had a couple of guests we had moods from 22 shots of moods and horror and uh, Gary Hill from the Cinema Beef podcast. Um, That one is not out yet, but I would imagine as you're listening to this show, it'll probably be out or will be in the next day or two after. So check that out. That is on the Horophilia podcast network. Um, And then we have the kind of side cast for that show, which is called Fresh Cuts. Uh, That's the show where we only concentrate on the newest of the new movies. We try to watch the movies in their first week of release and then get reviews out spoiler-free at first. Um, The first half of the show is spoiler-free, and then we give our spoiler warning, and then we do full spoilers. We actually usually do a scene-by-scene breakdown for the second half of that show. Um, So that's Fresh Cuts, also available on Horrorphilia. Um, the last episode that is currently available, I believe we did the wretched. So yeah, check that out though. If you listen to this show, you already know how I feel about the wretched. So, um, I, I recently joined a movie commentary podcast called it's not horror. Okay. Um, obviously as you can tell by the title, we're not really doing horror films so much as films that might be considered horror adjacent or films that horror fans might enjoy. On the last episode, we looked at Deathstalker, which is a sword and sorcery film from the late 80s, which has a lot of nudity and a lot of violence. So if you're into that, check it out. Um, And on the next episode of It's Not Horror Okay, we're going to be looking at a martial arts film called Force 5. Uh, unfortunately, I've never seen this one, so this is going to be a first watch for me. I'm purposely not watching it ahead of time. Hopefully, I can get some uh, some decent comments off the cuff as I watch it the first time, so check that out. Um, you can also hear me on Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. That is obviously my uh, kaiju podcast. You know, Godzilla, Gamera, all things Japanese monsters. On the last episode, we looked at Godzilla versus Hadora, or as it's known in the U.S., Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. So uh, that's available currently on the Legion Podcast Network. Uh, On the next episode, which we'll be recording this coming Sunday, we're going to look at North Korea's only entry into the kaiju genre. Yes, I said North Korea. And from what I understand, this movie has direct ties to Kim Jong-il, the uh, the original 
uh, not the guy who's in power now. So uh, that'll be recording later this week or this weekend, and that'll be available uh, sometime next week. You can also hear me on Cult Unknown, which um, unfortunately, that uh, that's a show that I do with Jerry Herring from Kill the Cast. Um, because of our scheduling, we haven't been able to get as many episodes out as we'd like. Um, but we're hoping to make our triumphant return either this month or next month. Um, what Cult Unknown is, for those who don't know, it is basically a conspiracy theory, cryptozoology, unsolved mysteries type podcast. On the first episode, we looked at Bigfoot mythology and stories surrounding uh, the Sasquatch and Bigfoot in general. Um, and the episode that we're preparing right now, we're going to be looking at alien abductions, specifically abductions, not just alien sightings and things like that. So like I said, hopefully that'll be out uh, sometime in late May or early June. And then the last show uh, that I'll bring up today is called In the Mic of Madness, probably one of my favorite titles of any podcast that I'm on. Uh, that podcast I do with the lovely Rebecca Reinhardt, and uh, we, are in, we are on the tail end of our Friday the 13th retrospective right now. Uh, the next episode that we're going to do, we're going to look at Friday the 13th fan films. So we'll be looking at stuff like Never Hike Alone, um, Friday uh, Friday what is it friday vengeance or friday the 13th vengeance i believe is the name of it uh we'll also look at some of the less popular kind of friday the 13th shorts that have been made by fans and we'll we also are going to have the director of never hike alone on the show and we'll be talking about the sequel to never hike alone which i believe is called never hike in the snow so finally we're going to be getting a uh, version of Friday the 13th set during winter, so which is something I've been waiting for for years. I understand that Camp Crystal Lake is a summer camp, but um, I've, I, I'm one of those people that I absolutely love snow-based horror because I just think that blood on white snow looks amazing. So yeah, uh, so check that out. And then as far as social media goes, I am Mr. Venom on Facebook. On Twitter, I am at Jerry Venom. On Instagram, I am at Venom Horror. And if you want to drop me a line about any of my shows, uh, the email address is mrvenompodcasts at gmail.com. All right. What about you, Revenant Vin? Uh, I thought I heard Jerry say that he had less shows, but... <laughs> Believe it or not, um... it's less. I, I, used to be, I used to be in double digits. <laughs> I don't know, I'm calling BS on this. Um, <laughs> but, uh, all right, you can hear me on this podcast. Uh, and you can find me, uh, at Vin Horrorcast on Facebook. And, uh, my blog is com, which I actually have a couple posts that I'm readying. So it'll be nice to get back to writing for that. Sweet. All right. Well, you can email at sthehorrorcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the HCast and look us up on Instagram at the Horrorcast. And that's about it. So thanks for listening to episode 86 of the Horrorcast, where it's all killer, no filler. Stay scared. <laughs>